From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Eric. Hello, Ward. How is Lake Arrowhead? It's lovely. There's a slight breeze. It's probably like 72 degrees. And um, I, got, uh, I got no complaints of being out of the sweltering heat of the San Fernando Valley, what, what, which, which is where you are. But, I am, but it's not sweltering heat. Okay, good. And, and I see a pool over your left shoulder. So yeah, even if my daughter, is. my daughter's out there. Do you see Stella in the background? Stella oh, wave. Yes. yes. There she is. Uh, yeah, it's really nice. It's like 75 degrees right now, 80 degrees. It's been really nice the last few days. That's all good. I am curious, in Arrowhead, mm-hmm. are, is, is the electricity there at the house uh, normal, like, coal energy? Is it solar? Or is it powered by? All right, you got to give me the hand signals if right. it's working. I got you. I mean you got to listen to one of these back just so you know what's going on. It is absurd. It sounds like alien transmissions from outer space sometimes. Let's talk about pigs for a second. So, Okay. All right. Look, we are, of course, powered by pigs. We love being part of the pigs family. And with no basketball to be seen, I mean, usually this time of year, we're seeing AAU videos. Rabbi is starting to put some stuff out there, you know, yep. because they're yep. starting to come back. But the big thing that happened over the last week was the Blake Wesley video. Wow. People did not like what Blake Wesley had to say. Well, look, I'll be honest. I saw the, I'm gonna, I saw the video and immediately texted Ravi and was like, you think people didn't like the Trey Kaufman video? <laughs> look, I have several thoughts on this video, and I think we should spend a minute talking about it. But you and I have not discussed this. No. So you watched it. I didn't. Oh, you didn't watch it because you were so turned off by the comments? You didn't want to? No, I was in bed late at night. And so I couldn't, I couldn't turn it on and hear it while the wifey was sleeping next to me. So I just went through the comments and it was, I don't think there was anything positive anybody said, only sort of a few weak defenses of what was said. All right. First of all, the defenses are ridiculous because look, we can't have it both ways guys. Like when we watch a video where a guy says, I love Indiana. I love the relationship that I have. Their style fits me perfectly. I love the players that they have on the team. When we hear all that, we're supposed to get excited about it. Like that, that nobody, when, when we get excited about it, Maybe Brian Snow, the snowman, the negative snowman will come in and be like, stop listening to these guys. But no one else says like, hey, this doesn't, you know, can't listen to the positive stuff. So let's, I'm going to break down a couple of the, 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 the best moments, the greatest hits from this video 
And I'm going to try to give you exactly what he said. Okay. okay, good. And now I do want to put it out there that it takes, you don't need media training. You don't need a publicist in your corner to say the like four things you need to say to us to make us happy and believe you are a fit for this system. Okay. And, it's, and it's really and, easy to bullshit that if you want to. And here's how you know how easy it is, Ward. Because everyone does it. Everybody else Everybody. besides Blake Wesley. Keon Brooks <laughs> did it. Darius Garland did it. Like, everybody does it, right? The greatest and, misses did it. And by the way, Trace Jackson Davis did it. Like, mm -hmm. they give you enough to make you feel good, but, like, not enough to feel like it's a slam dunk, right? right. Mm -hmm. Anthony Leal did it. Like, everybody plays the game. It's like this – it's this unwritten rule that all these recruits know what to say and what not to say, right? Everyone does it. Yep. Not, not Blake Wesley. <laughs> you don't play that game. So here was the first that I realized there was a problem. <laughs> He's asked what schools are recruiting him the hardest. I also, I have to say this. There is another video that someone else put out there that includes a lot of rabbies because there was a little bit of a pool of reporters there. Okay. Um, and so rabbies video is edited, obviously. And then there's other videos that have other, I think someone else asks him the question about who are the schools recruiting you the heart? Who are the schools that you're you know, being recruited by? He names like half a dozen schools does not name India. <laughs> okay. So that's, Number and it, one. And it doesn't help the backdrop to all of this is that IU was on him and then he basically fell off the map and then suddenly he came back. So already we don't really trust this recruitment as fans. And also let's not forget that Peegs interviewed him and wrote a story about it and, and did appear in chats as well to basically say like the body language wasn't good when he talked to him, when Indiana came up. Okay, so he doesn't name Indiana. But there is our stalwart recruiting guru, the rabbi of recruiting, the Jeff Rashans. Greatest in the country. Greatest in the world. The world, yeah, really. I mean, it doesn't probably happen as much in the world, but but I don't know, man. I was on the you go. I was on the Lithuanian pigs. Yeah. <laughs> Strong stuff. And and so Rabbi is just, you know, because he works for pigs. It's about Indiana. So he brings it back. So number one was not mentioning Indiana. All right. I'm watching. I'm like, I'll give him a pass. You know, I mean, like you're in the – he just played a game. He's in the moment. Maybe he just forgot, you know, the one – because maybe that one is such a given that you just ignore it, right? Sure. Then came – Rabbi got him to talk about Indiana. Yeah, yeah, they, they talked to me. They talked to me a lot. Yeah, they talked to me. Okay. Oh, and he says, I just talked to Bruiser. He wants me to – he wants me to – commit right now oh okay good they're pushing great then rabbi says well how would you rate your i think right he would say how would you rate your relationship yes. you know with archie and <laughs> yeah. uh and bruiser and he goes oh it's it's you know like a six <laughs> on a scale and by the way this is not a scale of one to six and, well and, and that i do remember one of the pigsters defending it is well, where would he have ranked his relationships with other coaches? What if Matt Painter was at a five? What if somebody else was at a four, trying Stop. to make it like relative? Yeah, like, hey, it, it. Did, it did make Stop me feel it. better. <laughs> let, me, let, me just, let me just break it down. Six out of 10 is a D minus. Yeah, yeah. 
if anybody listening here has a kid who came home with a 60%, you'd lose your mind. And if anybody listening here gets a 60% in one of their classes at IU, you'd be really upset. Well, I mean, let's just put finite 118 off to the side. Because I, I, I know from people we've talked to, I'm not the only one who had to restart that class a couple semesters later. But, but Ward, six out of 10 is one percentage point away from failing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's, yeah. that's called failure. Yeah. No, it's so not, then you could, not, look, not, not what anybody sets out to do. And you could hear, not, I, I shouldn't say it, you can't hear I imagine there was some body language stuff going on from like Rabbi and some of the other like Indiana guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like raising yeah. their eyebrows. <laughs> like, oh and shit. Because what you see in the video is immediately he goes, well, you know, like a six or a seven. Like, <laughs> um, you see like him, a solid C. Like he's yeah, yeah, doing like, average maybe. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's good. It's good. So that was when I was like, oh no, what, where is this going? All right. So then... Then he starts, there, he talks about some other stuff. And then he starts talking like, well, what do you like about Indiana? Rabbi asks him, what do you like about Indiana? I'm like, all right, good. Now this is where we're going to get into it. And he goes, well, I like how they play D because earlier he had compared himself to Patrick Beverly. Okay. All right. I like that. A guy who Aim likes high. defense Aim and high. talks trash. Yeah. Talks trash. Gets attitude. out of the skin of your opponent. Sure. Love all of it. So I love, I like how they, you know, they play D. I like how they play D. By the way, he also made the comment that everyone in the Big Ten plays pack line defense. Now, I don't think that's true, but he said that. Okay, but, you know, so I'm like, all right, well, then Archie's kind of, you know, a chief architect of pack line. He's going to like that. And then he, so he says, yeah, defense good. I'm feeling really good. I'm like, all right, the six is behind us. Uh, he didn't mention Indiana. That's behind us. And then he says, but their offense, oof, boy, <laughs> he goes, they got to get a new offense. <laughs> and then you can tell he realized he's saying things he shouldn't say. <laughs> and he's like, well, maybe not a new offense, but, you know, I mean, like, you could tell the guy hates the offense. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just he hates the offense. Well, and to be fair, he is in the majority of people who have watched Indiana games here as the, let's say, that the rebuilding, the turnover has occurred. Yeah, the offense has sucked. Yeah, it's not he, been great. He's just saying what all of us know to be true. But, again, you've never – ever heard a recruit say this yeah and again maybe it is time for the media coach who could say i think there's a real opportunity on the offensive side of the ball for my skill set to be utilized yes but i'm going to come back to my overall impression of this afterwards so he says they need a new offense and that's where now i'm like all right we need a new offense he's at a d minus with the relationship with the coaches he doesn't remember Indiana's name when he's listening to schools. And then I feel like, all right, there's only one more arrow in the quiver, which is like, you're an Indiana kid. You have to know these kids. So the question is asked, do you know these kids on the, these other guys on the team? And he names every one of them. Okay. I mean, he just hits them all. Okay. He hits Trace, Armon, Anthony, Trey, Finnessy, and Christian. I mean, just hits them all. And I'm like, awesome. And then Rabbi asks questions, and how meaningful is that to you? 
<laughs> That's, that is the answer you got. I don't know. I think his exact words were, it depends. Well, what does it depend on? You know the guys at this school. It could only depend on, do you like the guys that you know? <laughs> well, you know these guys. You're being asked if it's meaningful to you about these guys. If it is meaningful to you, you say, yeah, I like those guys. If it's not meaningful to you, you answer, nah, it depends. <laughs> so he has everything we love about Indiana and everything we think you need to land a recruit at Indiana with the current set. He has killed every one of them. We don't, you know, the offensive style is not conducive. By the way, guys can talk about playing defense all they want. If they think they're going to play professional basketball, it's because they think they can play offense. And Blake Wesley is a scorer. Yeah. So that's not good. Archie, so genuine. People love him. Bruiser, the best. And by the way, they are. So well, if you don't think that, you're not right. Yeah. And look, the, the, the cards were stacked. The deck was stacked against us kind of from the jump in that he's a real way up there, Northern Indiana kid, which even stretching back into the night era has always been an issue. You've got Notre Dame right there. There's a close relationship there. He, his family's tight. So they're all there. You got the stinky armpit down in West Lafayette. It's pretty close. You got Izzo sniffing around right above you, all geographically much closer historically. Yes. His mom went to IU. Yeah, but, but, but I mean. And me, loves IU. But I've not heard that that's going to be a big factor at any point in this recruitment. It's right. almost like let's, let's try to find something that can give us hope, but never like somebody, you know, in the chat room or on the boards being like, yeah, his mom's pushing really hard and mom's probably going to have the final say in this. It just seems like there, guys. I'm going to throw you a bone just so you keep checking whenever anybody posts about him. All right. But the other two schools that have been mentioned that he's mentioning and kind of perks up for, he perks up for Purdue and Notre Dame. Maybe not Notre Dame as much, but he perked up for Purdue. He perked up for Maryland and Louisville. So give me your geographical barometers there. Oh, well, that's more a financial thing. Those schools are <laughs> and they're willing to pay him lots of money. So anyway, so I take all that in, and here's my feeling on it, because the board, like you said, it blew up. Here's my opinion. I want the kid more. Oh, oh, let's see. He's the girl who's acting like she's not interested in you. Yeah, he's, he's playing hard to get, and I like his style. I love that he's not media trained. I love that he speaks the truth. I love, because there is no question. Look, Rabbi gave a good defense for, listen, I talked to his dad. His dad said X, Y, and Z. He's definitely interested in Indiana. Fine. But there is no doubt that the kid is not lying. The kid is speaking his truth. He's saying how he feels. And I got to tell you, in this era where everyone is media trained it seems and everyone gives the cliche answers i love a kid who doesn't i, I mean, love I, it. I can find that refreshing if i were to watch it at some point be like oh that's nice these answers aren't canned or politically correct but it certainly doesn't make me want him more because w what i have liked about the kids who have committed 
and we've gotten to talk to some more in depth beyond the the soundbite interview answers is that they they really are buying into all that stuff and it's not just a rote answer so you know going back to your point i keep thinking because i just watched it uh, recently again but this time with my kids bedazzled starring brendan fraser who is yes he's he's a hoosier he's from indianapolis but you remember the movie where yes. he, he want, he's the professional basketball player. He's like seven feet tall who yeah. sweats profusely. And all he speaks is in cliches. And it's so funny because it's so 90% of any after game interview or any yeah. interview with, with an athlete. So I, I, do, I do love somebody coming at it more from the hip. But I don't know. I don't know. Like what I like is offense. Sure. But I'm hoping that the system and the players coming in will provide the necessary shooting percentage and points to get us at a really highly competitive level and keep the culture consistent. Let me ask you this. Okay. When you first started dating Annie or Mm -hmm. first were interested in Annie, she wasn't that into you at the beginning, right? Uh, No, she was, but she acted like she wasn't. Okay. But she acted like she wasn't which made you want her more. Right, but she wasn't a teenage boy. <laughs> I don't care. I'm using the <laughs> metaphor. The best relationships are the ones that start where you got to do a little work. You got to do a little work. You got to show your game. You got to show why you're better than the other options out there. And then when you land it, it's better than the easy one. And this kid we're going to have to work for if we want him. And I want him. And I want him more because he's playing hard to get and because he speaks his mind. And I think that if he gets to Indiana, he will fall in love with it like so many have. By the way, we've talked to a lot of players who chose Indiana not because of Indiana, but because of a relationship with Mike Davis or a relationship with um, Tom Crean, like Maurice Creek, never even came to visit, but Crean recruited him, fell in love with Indiana when he got him there. That's what's going to happen with this kid, and we're going to love him. I want him more. Now, if he chooses not to go to Indiana, I reserve the right to change my feelings about this kid. <laughs> but, but I was so I, – I just saw all the vitriol – not vitriol, but people were very upset. And they, they adopted more of the attitude that you had, which is like, I like these kids that desperately want to be there and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, me too. I like that too. But this kid can shoot, can drive, is 6'5", and wants to play defense. I want him wearing the candy stripes or the pinstripes. I think I think by the time he'd show up, Jordan will have that all locked down. He'll he'll be he'll he'll be taking minutes that Blake thought he was going to have. Dude, we can always use more. We can always use more of that. We can never have enough. Anyway, speaking that, speaking of players, we could use more of. We could oh, use. Well, wait, wait, wait! Before we get there, come on. What now? What before we get there? Well, after that whole run about you know, Blake and the video, I'm a little parched. So I just have to take a drink. (laughs) Oh, wow. Look at that. What a beautiful glass. I just had to take a drink out of, where did I get it? Where'd you get that glass? Well, Ward, I was sitting here thinking something was missing in my life. Yeah. I was thinking like, what is it? There's a hole in my heart. Yeah. And Uh and I felt like it was reparable. I could Mm -hmm. repair it. Yes. But I didn't want but I felt like it was a finite chance to repair it. And I didn't okay. want to miss my chance to repair the hole in my heart. And I realized the hole in my heart was getting a little piece of IU history. 
from collegegradshop.com forward slash hysterics. That's exactly right. Wow. I've heard I went about there. That. I got four glasses. I took a sip from the glass and I could feel it like a magic elixir from the combination of the pristine glass with the beautiful retro logo, the water coursing down my esophagus. esophagus yeah. And, and it, it coated my heart mm, and it mm. filled the hole because now I have a piece of IU history from IU, from collegegradchop.com forward slash hysterics. You're, you're kind of like the Tin Man. You, you had what you needed all along. You just, you just didn't realize it till you went over to your shelf and, and you grabbed it. Yeah, that, that's what it was. So make sure you grab yours to have a similar experience. You got to think that these guys at College Grad Shop hate what we're doing. I mean, it, it is just so ridiculous what we're doing for them. I mean, when it was originally discussed, we were talking about it being like a 30-second bit. So the fact that we end up stretching these out to like three minutes, I'm, I'm saying that they're getting good bang for their buck. Yeah, except I believe that there is the law of diminishing returns. And I think we far exceed that limit. That's quite possible. Um, I would have to say that there isn't anybody suffering through the intros to these podcasts that isn't extremely aware of how to get these glasses, you know, where to find them, what they're all about. And that's all we can do here. That's all we can do. So now let's get back to the type of player that we want more of at Indiana. All-time greats. We need more all-time greats. All right. I am glad you said that because you and I did not discuss this, but I sent out a tweet yesterday to announce who we were doing on the podcast today. Mm -hmm. And I said, one of the most underappreciated Hoosiers of all time, and simply put, when you look at his career, all-time great. One of the all-time greats. That is the category he should be put in. That is the category that we should all treat him as because what not just his performance, but the way he carried himself, the crap he had to deal with over his four years, both internally, like injuries, and then externally, what was going on with the program, this dude just delivered over and over again. And, and the shame of it is his senior year got overshadowed for two reasons. Eric Gordon, number one, and number two, the program falling apart. Yeah, it, it was something where I think you could look at A.J. Guyton, too, in a similar vein, and just be like, again, all-time great. The numbers back it up. If you got to watch him play in person like we did, the, the, the performance, the clutch backed it up. But wrong let's not say wrong place, but let's say wrong time at uh, the best place in the world still ends up getting you overshadowed when you really just should be celebrated. But now, according to you, the response to your tweet shows that Hoosier Nation, at least those following us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics, no I, no E, but the sometimes why, I think wow. I got that right. Wow, doing it, doing it up top, doing it up top. Look, it's never bad. It's never bad because we, we know as soon as the guest is over and the transition music plays, most of them are gone. They're gone. <laughs> They're gone. You're right. But, Let's do but, it together. Let's do it how we normally do it then. Okay. So, so yeah, your tweet that went out yesterday, you know, uh, at Hoosier Hysterics, the, you do it. I'm, I'm, that's <laughs> how we Hoosier, usually. It yep. is true, yeah. 
Add Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But, but the, the sometimes, sometimes why? We should just say it normally. I don't know why we slow it down. I feel like I, I yeah, okay. Let's try it normally. Okay. For the hysterics, no E, no I, but, but the, the sometimes, sometimes why? Oh, Much yeah, that, that did not work. Oh, that, that worked perfectly. I mean, it's not as aesthetically pleasing, but at least we were in sync. Oh, see, from my end, we weren't in sync. Oh, yeah, to me, I thought we nailed that one. Well, the, you know what? The listeners will be the final judge on that one. <laughs> yeah, or maybe but, uh, when back, editing it. <laughs> back to, but you're right. The tweet got a ton of, of attention and traction showing that you're right. The Hoosier fan base does love this guy, and we, I'm glad that they do. And I hope he listens to it to hear, and I hope people tweet at him to tell him how much they love him because he deserves it. This guy is a stud. You know I've been excited for this one from the he's beginning. One of, he's one of your all-time faves. Yeah, look, I mean, there's the Mount Rushmore guys, the Isaiahs, the Alfords, you know, the Mays. Like, we know that. Then there are the guys who, I mean, he is an all-time great, but there are the guys that just strike a chord with you. And for me, DJ White, Greg Graham, they're in that group. And DJ White, I just absolutely love the way he attacked the game. And somebody on Twitter coined him. He was a, quote, paint beast. Mm, paint I love beast. that. Yeah. Paint beast. Paint beast gets paid. I oh PBP. Yeah. Okay. I love it. So let's let people get at this one because it is a fun one. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hysterics Nation, today we've got a guy who put the power and power forward. Eric, let's get into some details of this gentleman. All right. Uh, Ward, you know I've been excited for this one for a while. This is one of my all-time favorite players. Here we go. Hailing from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where he attended Hillcrest High School. All he did there is go on to perform at such a high level that he was invited to be in the Jordan Capital Classic, the Nike Hoop Summit. Oh, and that little thing that they call the McDonald's High School All-American game. Burger Boy. He was the highest ranked recruit in the Mike Davis era at Indiana University, a consensus top 15 recruit. He then went to Indiana University where he was the 2005 Big Ten Freshman of the Year. By the way, only 10 Indiana players in history have been the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. He was second team all Big Ten his junior year, first team all Big Ten his senior year, where he won the Big Ten Player of the Year award. By the way, our last Big Ten Player of the Year. He was a second-team All-American. He was a Nate Smith and Wooden candidate for Player of the Year. He is 18th all-time in scoring, 12th all-time in rebounding. His senior year, he had the fifth most rebounds in a season all-time at IU. He is third all-time in blocks and has the fourth and fifth best all-time blocking seasons. He set the freshman record for blocks. He's tied for fourth all-time with a 56.2% field goal percentage. He was the first player since Allen Henderson to average a double-double at Indiana. He is sixth all-time in double-doubles in a season. He had 18 of them his senior year. Fifth all-time 
in a Big Ten season in double-doubles, one of only 14 players in the history of Indiana to average a double-double. And no one at Indiana has averaged a double-double since this gentleman. He is only one of eight IU players to ever play in the Pan Am games. He went on to a successful career where he was drafted first round in the NBA, spent seven seasons in the NBA, and now is tearing it up in the Turkish Basketball League. One of my all-time favorite players, and I will say one of the most overlooked and underrated players in the history of college basketball. Please welcome DJ White. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. I got chills listening to that. Oh, I'm good. Gonna... <laughs> I, thought, I thought Eric was going to pass out. He kept running out of air, but he had more things to say. And I also wanted to add... I don't think they keep, in fact, I know they don't keep the statistic, but I'm pretty sure he's number one all-time in dunks at Indiana University. Gotta be all-time. Gotta be number one. <laughs> DJ, I'm curious, before we get into it, when you hear all of those accomplishments, and you're only, what, you're 33 years old now? Yeah, 33. Yeah, 33. You're still young. a couple months. Yep. All right, you're still way too young. But in just those 33 years, accomplishing that amount, what one accomplishment that you heard me list off stands out to you as something you are most proud of? Oh, man. Uh, it's so many. It's, it's hard to to say one. Uh, one that I'm proud of is uh, probably a, a lot my senior year, yeah. uh, being, a play, being a player of the year. Yeah. yeah. Um, it meant a lot to me because of, of what I went through when I was in school, as far as personal things, um, that, uh, a lot of people might not even know that I went through, um, and just, just overcoming those personal things, overcoming, you know, the coaching changes and, and things like that. And, you know, just going for my junior year, which I felt I had a subpar year coming off an of injury and then going to be the player of the, of the year in the big 10 and second team all American, like you said. So, you know, that, that that award meant a lot to me, and it still does. It's actually down in my basement uh, nice. hanging up. So, nice. so that means a lot to me. By the way, only an absolute stud would say that it was a subpar year his junior year when he was second team <laughs> all Big Ten. I mean, just like I wish I could have that kind of failure. That's the kind of failure I'm looking for. I was going to say he to, – to, to my standards, I mean, because that was the year I, uh, I really originally had planned to uh, – to leave school right when i you know i thought i would and i had a like you said i had a i had an okay year but to my standards it wasn't what i wanted to achieve you know i was coming off a year where i broke my foot twice right and i was kind of get back in the swing of things um new coach i think that was coach sampson's first year yep um so uh you know to me it was a it was a letdown of of how i play individually and you know the team also i felt like we were could have could have went further than we did. I think we lost to UCLA yep. in the uh, in the second round. You know that team team was pretty good. So you know, it was just a it was a good year, but you know I expected more. So well, DJ, before we go back to the beginnings of DJ White and his basketball career, we'd like to to know what's going on with you right now. Where you at? How you getting by in these crazy times and and what's your your hope for when things return to a more normal state uh, well right now i'm still playing uh basketball i'm playing in europe now uh i just well since they canceled the season i just completed 12 years professional uh going into 13 um and i'm playing in turkey right now um 
it's been it's been great overseas ever since I left the NBA. I've, I've been to a lot of places. I've been to China. Um, I played in Spain for a brief stint. Um, Turkey, Italy. Uh, it's a different experience, um, but I'm still on that journey of playing basketball, doing what I love to do. What, so it's been good for me. What just, is you know see the world? What is Turkey like? What is it like coming from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and living in Turkey? <laughs> Turkey is actually cool. I'm in uh, right now. I'm in a city called Bursa, uh, but the two previous years I lived in Istanbul, and man, Istanbul is like New York City, but a little bit. I think it's a way a lot more people, but it's, it has everything. I, I love Istanbul. My family loves it. Um, it was just a cool place, a lot of things to do. Um, besides the traffic, the traffic was horrible. But <laughs> <laughs> listen, we, we live in Los Angeles. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't make us feel bad for you when it comes to traffic. We're in LA, man. <laughs> it might be close to LA, man. But, um, but other than that, I had a great experience. So it's it's pretty cool living in Turkey. Well, doesn't it just blow your mind? You're like walking through the streets of Turkey and maybe the traffic's worse because a lot of those streets have been around before cars were invented. <laughs> but you just right. you just see like, oh, that building was there before like Columbus came to America. It just is a whole different perspective when we come from such a relatively young country. Exactly. That's true. There's a lot of history there, man. So like you said, it's, 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 it's different and humbling at the same time. What about the food? What's the food like in Turkey? Oh, it's good. <laughs> what is Turkish uh, li- cuisine? What is the, the the normal like cuisine? You got uh, you got your lentil soup, uh, which is one of my favorites. Okay. They do a lot of rice. Um, uh, they do a lot of meat as far as like uh, beef. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the Turkish pizza. It's pretty good, but they do it with. Um, with lamb and beef and tomatoes and onions. Um, nice. It's, it's kind of a spicy thing. Um, it's, they have, they use a lot of spice. Um, they love their dairy, which I really don't do too much of dairy. What about but, that, uh, that Turkish coffee? I love Turkish coffee. You do that? Man, I, I, I don't drink coffee at all. I'm a tea guy. I drink tea, so <laughs> I don't drink coffee. My, no. my nervous system probably should do what you do, but <laughs> man, the Turkish coffee has real nice flavor and kick to it. So DJ, you said your family likes it there. Tell us about your family. Oh, I, well, I'm married now. Uh, I'm going on year two, um, and I have three kids. I actually just had a had a newborn on uh, April 27th. Wow! So I have three, Congrats. Congrats! Three girls. Three girls. What so, are their names? Uh, Maya, Avery, and Olivia is the youngest. So Maya is is twelve. Avery will be six June tenth, and then Olivia. I'm totally um, I'm, j- j- just came. I'm totally going to put you on the spot without thinking. What are all three of their birthdays? Go. Uh, January twentieth, June tenth, and April twenty seventh. Nailed it! Nailed it! <laughs> Nailed it, yeah. man! Uh, all right, so let's let's take a step back and go back to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, when you're a kid growing up. Tell us uh, what your life was like growing up, what your family was, and how you and the game of basketball found each other. And my family, growing up, I, I and still to this day, I have a, a very close family. I mean, we all live right beside each other. I mean, um, you could picture a hill, kind of a hill. It's not a huge hill, but my house is in the middle. 
if you're looking at the house on the left is my aunts and on the right is my grandparents and like just just right there beside each other so i grew up big family guy um still close to my family matter of fact they just left this weekend over uh the uh the holiday to spend some time with me uh so very very family oriented um guy um as far as basketball, man, I was a, I actually played baseball up until maybe nine or 10 around that age. Okay. Didn't, didn't touch, didn't touch a basketball. Well, I won't say didn't touch, but I didn't play organized. And I just remember one day my mom was just like, you're too tall not to play basketball. You should try it. <laughs> so, Mama knows so best. I, right, right, right. So I started off in the church league and I was just dominating you know, <laughs> I, I just started dominating everybody, and from there it took off. So that's how I kind of started playing basketball. Now I thought it was the law in Alabama; you have to play football. It's a football state. Was 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 that ever something that a coach came along and said, "Hey, you'd be a great tight end," or did everybody just recognize basketball was going to be your thing? Well, you're right. Being in, in you know, I'm ten minutes from the University of Alabama. And, uh, you know, it is football country, but I tried to play football, but they wanted me, I guess they went by weight and height and they wanted me to be on the offensive line. And I didn't, I was like, no way I'm not going to be blocking for anybody. So, I, <laughs> so I was like, no way. And, uh, and I just left it alone after that. So that's my football story. <laughs> and did you know from the beginning of that church league when you were dominating that like, oh, wow, I'm going to be really good at this game? Or did it take a while for you to figure out that this could be a real ticket for you to college and beyond? It took a while. I would say maybe once I hit the eighth grade, um, my, uh, my high school coach who basically put the vision of where I'm at today uh, in me, his name is Thad Fitzpatrick. I really didn't didn't see the vision until him. I mean, he I played seventh grade with the seventh grade team. I was okay. And the next year he was the coach at the high school and he was like, you need to, you need to go up. I see, he saw potential in me, something that I didn't see. I mean, I had these huge glasses playing with the strap on. Yes. Strap on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Look, I, I looking like him. old school John Sally. Exactly. <laughs> he saw the vision. He moved me up. I was in eighth grade playing on a ninth grade team. I would walk every day after I took my classes. And, um, you know, I go practice it with the high school guys. And and I was dominating them, even the seniors, juniors, whatever, whatnot. And that's when I really started to be like, okay, maybe I can, you know, be something at this basketball thing. So that's when you started to realize it. Your coach, that obviously saw it even before you, when did people around the country start to notice? When did you start hearing from colleges and schools uh, and, and getting invitations to come play? My ninth grade year, um, it was something, I don't know if they still have it now. It's called Junior, it was a Nike Junior All-American camp. And, you know, they had the, the ninth and 10th graders uh, come to the camp from all over the country. And the top ten, the top ten players from that that camp went to the Nike All American camp that they held in Indianapolis. So I went there and I had a great camp. And I was in those ten that was selected. 
and I went to the the big Nike camp and I, I held my own and you know that's when everything started coming in for me. Now I'm always fascinated uh, about hearing about the upper echelon of players and who you got to play against because clearly you played against some people that have gone on to huge NBA careers. Mm-hmm. Who were some of the people that you saw at these various camps? that you were competing with and probably dominating back then that, that, <laughs> that are names that we would all know today. Well, in that, in that camp, that particular junior camp in my ninth grade, I remember two names that stood out and it was Shannon Brown and Chris Humphreys. Oh, wow. Um, so those guys and myself made it. I, I, I can't remember who else. And then when I got to the camp, they, the big all American camp, they had it separated for where like, you know, you got, um, your 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 seniors and juniors and whatnot and your freshman and sophomore. I remember Sean May being there at the time. He was pretty highly rated. Uh Amari Stoudemire, um, those guys. And I, I remember playing against Sean. I kinda held my own. Um, Good. We but, don't like against... him. <laughs> 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 uh, Sean's a, he's a cool dude, but yeah, I, I kinda I kinda held my own against him. Um and that that first year in Nike, but you know I went every summer after that. Unfortunately, I got hurt every every year after that at the camp. But before you know, I was playing against Al Jefferson, uh, those guys, Lou Alding, all all the Nike guys were there. So a lot of your top name guys was came up through those camps. Rudy Gay was there, um, Lamarcus Aldridge. Wow. So I competed against all those guys. Now, coming up. before we get to uh, the connection to Indiana, we always ask this question. When was the first time, whether it was a game or a practice or just screwing around in the backyard or at a gym, when you got that ball, you saw the rim, you rose up, and you threw one down? The first time you dunked the basketball. I think it was seventh grade at my middle school gym. Yeah. Seventh grade. Yes. Seventh grade, my middle school gym. It was a weak dunk, but it was a dunk. <laughs> <laughs> were, were other people around to see it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know how you know you just fooling around with the guys. We all just in the gym, and I just jumped. Uh, I jumped up and I I got I dunked it. So yeah, it was seventh grade. And did everyone lose their mind? Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did you? Or were you I, like, yeah, this is normal. I'm going to be doing this a lot. Well, I'm a laid back guy, so I kind of try to play it off like, yeah, this is easy. You know? <laughs> so to what Eric had made mention of before, and I wonder if it might have happened in Indianapolis, but when did you first hear from Indiana University and, and who contacted you and how did that courtship go? Um, well, my uh, it's, it's a lot of stories to that, but. The main one is my high school coach that I mentioned, him and Mike Davis, they coached at uh, Alabama together. They were both assistants there together. Got it. Um, so that's kind of how the whole Indiana Mike Davis thing started. And also, let's see, my father played against Coach Davis in high school hmm. in basketball. They played against each other. And also, uh, Mike Jr., mm-hmm. my, Mike Jr.'s mom, went to my church and Mike went to my church also when he was younger and he was there. So kind of just happened, you know, I knew, knew him and, and it kind of worked out that way. So did you know Mike Davis growing up? Was he somebody who was just kind of circling your life a little bit? 
I really didn't know him personally. Okay. Um, it's just like everybody else who I knew knew him, you know. So right. I didn't know him until it was time to, you know, to to make a a decision. And once he once he started coaching and stuff like that, that's when I got a chance to to know him. Do you remember your first time you visited Bloomington? I assume on a on an official visit. It might have been. I think it was unofficial. I think it was a Memorial Day. They used to have a Memorial Day classic basketball tournament. That was a Nike tournament. Um, I remember going up there for that, but I can't remember if I went before for like a team camp. Okay. But I know when I went, it was over. Like I knew. <laughs> yes. I, I I knew. I said I'm going to Indiana. I told my mom like I'm going to Indiana. What was it? I just tell us. I don't know. I have no idea. I just <laughs> felt like <laughs> it's just you. You just get that feeling, and I just got that feeling. Like I love the campus. The people were nice. I just saw myself there, and you know, it just when I was there, it was just like boom. I I know I need to be here, and I just stuck to it. Even though a lot of schools recruited me, I thought about other places, but. Indiana always stood out for me. Be, be honest. It was the good-looking co-eds. <laughs> Might have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of those. All right, so yep. you, you make the decision to come to Indiana. Um, what did you know at that time about the history of Indiana? Clearly, this was a little bit of a strange time for, for Indiana because mm. obviously Bob Knight was there for so many years. We're now a few years in to the Mike Davis era, and they had made this championship run a couple years before. Did you know anything about the history of Indiana when you decided to go there? I mean, I was a basketball fan at that time. So, you know, I knew about the championships. I knew about Coach Knight. I knew about the tradition. Um, I knew Assembly Hall was packed 17, 18,000 every night. So, you know, I kind of I knew, but I didn't know until I really, as far as, like, how the fans felt about it and, <laughs> How, how it is around town and everything like that. And so I actually took a visit, I think, late my junior year. And then I really, really understood, you know, the the tradition of, of Indiana basketball. I would have to imagine you would be like, oh, they're about basketball here like they are about football in Alabama. Like at, le- at <laughs> least a frame of reference of insanity that you were getting yourself into. Right. That was a big thing for me. And and that's that's something I when people ask me, how is Indiana? I say, you know how they are here in Tuscaloosa about Alabama football. I say it's the same about Indiana basketball to try to get people to understand how it is on, on campus or, you know, how the people think about it. So I had a chance to see football country, one of the biggest programs and and basketball, you know, one of the story programs as well. Well, and and Eric had made this point in a previous podcast we just did that that Indiana is uh, basketball. It's so huge to the whole state. It's such a part of the state's identity, and they 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 cry and they laugh and they cheer along with that program. And I'd have to imagine e- even more so in Alabama, where there's no professional sports teams. It's just something where you're not just worried about you know your coaches your teammates the the fans in the stands but you, you had a whole state waiting and watching to see what this uh this uh mcdonald's all-american from alabama could bring so was that a pressure you you ever felt in a negative way or were you were like yeah this is what i came here for bring it i embraced it <laughs> i was i was i was looking forward to that 
you know, um, I had a goal in mind when I when I went to school, uh, personally and team. Uh, so I embraced it. I was I was ready. You know, I remember watching that championship run with with uh, Coach Davis and Jared and, and those guys. And you know, I wanted to do that also. So I was I was ready for that. I, I wanted that. I knew the pressure that was that was coming along with it. I mean, we had a top recruiting class. Me, uh, Robert Vade. Josh Smith, where he didn't come, AJ Ratliff, uh, James Hardy, may he rest in peace. Uh, so we, uh, you know, I knew I knew what was expected of us or what people thought we should do, so to speak. I just wanted to give you just a little tip that next time somebody from Alabama asks you, what's it like, what was it like there in Indiana? Say all the things you said. It's, you know, it's like you guys are about, it's like what we are here about football but they're about basketball, except they're smarter and better looking. <laughs> Just add that I'm, at the end. Just add that at the okay. end. The, the man has <laughs> to go sure home at some point. <laughs> well, I, you know, I want to get in a little bit to, to who was there on the team with you, but let's start with the gentleman we just spoke to who has returned to Bloomington. What was it like having senior Mike Roberts on the team, a fellow big man looking out for you? My man, boss, if he listens to that, what's up, boss? No, yes. but, uh, <laughs> boss, uh, well, I call him boss, but uh, we do Mike, too. Uh, I actually, before school even started, I, I came up that summer before my freshman year. I stayed with him, mm. I lived with him all summer. Oh, wow. Um, so I got a chance to, you know, get to know. I was, I was way more quieter and shy than I am right now, but. I got a chance to be around him and, and learn from him and watch him. And, you know, uh, he's just an all-around good guy. He wasn't the most talented guy. I mean, he'll tell you that himself. But he just worked hard. He played hard. And just an overall good guy. So, man, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he's back. And, um, and hopefully, you know, he can get those guys right and we can start doing big things again. Absolutely. So you show up at campus – uh, you've played at the highest of highs when it comes to high school basketball. You've been doing it for years in these summer camps like you talk about. When you got there and started now playing for Mike Davis and playing against other Division I talent, was there any adjustment period for you at all in workouts and practice, or were you so used to elite competition that you just hit the ground running? It was adjustments as far as schemes and playing with other talented players. Um, as far as like taking my time and, and different things, that's that's one big problem I had, and I can remember Coach Davis yelling at me all the time: "Take your time, <laughs> take your time." <laughs> I used to get the ball and just go, go, go because I could instead before instead of just being patient, you know, using my teammates more and different things like that. So, um, and physically, it was an adjustment because I was a, a skinny kid my freshman year um, playing against you know bigger, more mature more mature guys. So um, well, and, and, that was probably the main adjustment. Well, and how about the adjustment to you, you played against all this high level competition before. I mean, you, you played and started in 29 games as a freshman and, and, you know, field goal percentage was crazy points per game, all that stuff, but you had never played in front of 17,000 maniacs. Like you, you then had at assembly hall, what what did it feel like to be out there and just see from like as high as the eye can look fans yelling? Was that just a, an incredible adrenaline rush when it first when it first started happening? 
It was. I mean, like I told you earlier, I was looking forward to that. I mean, being on ESPN every, if not ESPN, we on CBS for Saturday. Mm -hmm. You know, we were always on national TV. So I was up for that. You know, I I enjoyed it, but that the Assembly Hall crowd was, was incredible. And, you know, they they made us go. They made me go especially because I, I fed off adrenaline and, uh, you know, just screaming every night. Most of the nights it was a good thing. Some nights it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it was cool, though. I, I loved it, man. It was, it was a great experience. It's funny, DJ, because, I mean, like I said, and I'm going to say it several times, you're one of my all-time favorite players in Indiana, and I've been thank following you, Indiana you. since I can remember breathing. And you talk about feeding off of the crowd's adrenaline. Indiana fans desperately want to feed off of the emotion and adrenaline from the players. And when we have teams that are, let's call it quiet, which we've had quite a few of in the last several years, it really bothers us as fans because mm -hmm. we want to see emotion out there. And I remember you from day one, you wore your heart on your sleeve, you left it all out there. So there was like this instant love affair between the fans and you because you let us know how much you enjoyed being out there on the court. Was that always how you played? Yeah, that's always how I played. Uh, and, and some people, <laughs> I remember I got a letter one time from from a fan. I can't remember the name, but it was like uh, along the lines of, you know, just play the game and don't show off. But oh. I never looked at it as, as showing off. I looked at it as just like I'm into this game. This is just how I feel. I'm, I'm out there expressing how I feel. You know, I want to. I want to win. I want to, you know, have a crowd behind us, you know, you know, so to speak. So that's just how I looked at it. I just went out there and played with energy and, you know, emotions I showed. That's just how I felt. So. Yeah, screw that fan. I mean, I don't give a <laughs> shit who that was, but screw him because I loved it and the vast majority loved it because that's yeah. what you can tell when a player is showing off. You can tell. Right. I mean, you can tell when somebody's doing it for like, a highlight reel and you can tell when somebody is just using it like emotion you know because that's how they play and when it's real and genuine fans respect it and i know i did and i know all my friends did too and and i'm sure your teammates feed off of that and and the same way when the crowd gets going it 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 charges you i mean you throw down those dunks and i'm waiting for the backboard yeah. to explode <laughs> and i'm getting a true adrenaline rush going through my system um, I wanted to talk about how that freshman season started, where here you are at one of the all-time blue blood programs, but a couple years removed from the title run, uh, the key players on that team are no longer there, and you guys, like, you start off your career in a buzzsaw with top 10 North Carolina, Connecticut, Kentucky, you throw in a, a, a decent Notre Dame team in there that you guys just... You lose four in a row. And and are you at all like thrown by this and like, oh wait, this isn't what I signed up for? Or did you know, you know, this is this is just where we're at. Now, um we're gonna get this turned around. Or, or does that shake a freshman's confidence when you see those those teams show up and take you down? I mean, we knew going into that year, uh, you know, we were so young. I mean, a lot of our key pieces were, were freshmen. I think we have Bracey. Uh, Marshall was there, Rod Wilmot. Um, so, I mean, I, 
from thinking back on it, I, I don't think we, well, I know I didn't really get da- down on myself. Um, it was just a part of the process. I mean, we played some some great teams with a lot of NBA talent on it. So um, I didn't I didn't really look at it negative. Um, you know, we just tried to try try to do better. And I know we want to make the tournament, but uh, <laughs> we definitely came up short. But um, you know, we just we just kept trying to work and, and get better. One of the great things about your career, and we'll get into it as we hit the, the the years that follow, but one of the great accomplishments is your record against Purdue mm-hmm. because you smoked those sons of bitches when you played them. I, I think I lost one game. Just maybe. once. You ju- yeah, over, just one, over yeah. four years, you only lost one game. You went four and one against them, including your mm-hmm. freshman year where you beat yeah. them twice. So my question is, you're coming from SEC country. I assume you hate Kentucky to begin with. But if you didn't <laughs> hate Kentucky, you get to Indiana where we hate violently two teams, Purdue and Kentucky. How long right. did it take you to start hating those teams the way we hate them? That first game, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the first game I really understood, especially the Purdue game. Yeah. Uh, it's, just, it's just a dislike. And I... I was thinking when you said that, I was like, which game? I lost one, and we lost my – I think it was my junior junior year, we lost in Purdue. Right. Uh, yeah, we we lost that year. In Kentucky, I, don't, I think I played Kentucky only once. Oh, is that right? If I could uh, – No, you, you got them you your sophomore year. I uh, didn't play. Oh, I didn't, that's I right. I personally didn't right. play. Got it. I got it. Because I was, I was hurt. But, uh, yeah, I played them once, and I think they – destroyed us if i can't remember <laughs> yeah we don't like to talk <laughs> that, about that dj yeah but that game was it, it was cool and I, like i said i understood the rivalry but i, I want to say it was was it in louisville probably freedom hall maybe um freedom see. hall maybe we... actually i played them twice because i remember playing them when rondo was there at rup ah got it yeah but they beat us both so i yeah. never beat kentucky but <laughs> <laughs> but, but but yeah the rivalry yeah the rivalry yeah, no no yeah. please you go no i was just saying i could i could understand the rivalry just playing in the game it's just you can feel the energy from the fans you can feel the energy leading up to the to the game of of those of those games the big rivalry game so you start to understand um you know how hated those teams are on both sides I, i'm curious if you felt any of this when when you came in you came in after a year that there were high expectations in 0304 and it did not go the way that that um you know everybody wanted it to really the last 2 years for Indiana hadn't gone the the greatest and there was a big split in the Indiana fan base when Mike Davis got the job and then he uh-huh. made the title run and he got the extension but when you got to Indiana a big part of Indiana is the history of it and when Davis took over and got the extension there still was this group of former players that just stopped supporting the school because of loyalty to Bob Knight. You know, kind of a weird misplaced loyalty, truthfully, because the loyalty should have been to the school. But whatever. It happened. Were you able to connect to any of the former players from past eras, or did that not really happen under Mike Davis? Uh... No, I don't. I, from what I can remember, I don't think it really happened. I can't remember too many players, too many former players coming back. Isaiah did come back. I remember Isaiah came back and talked to us one time. Okay. Um, that's all that I can think of 
from because that was so long ago. Sure. But I definitely remember. I definitely remember Isaiah coming back. What was that uh, like to, when he did come back? <laughs> it was funny. He kind of got on to us, some of the players, but he was positive. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. So it was cool seeing him come back and um, and talk to us. But that's what I think is all about. Um, I mean, I think alumni should come back and support no matter what. Yes. Um, um, like I said, it's it's bigger. The program is bigger than any individual, whether it's me or or any former players. It's all about the program and continuing on the tradition. So, um, you know, I encourage you know if when I get the chance, when I finish playing, you know, I want to come back and visit more. Um, I just think that's how it should be as yes. far as uh, form, former players. It's it's hard to pop into Bloomington in between games and Turkey, <laughs> uh, but rest rest assured you are you are going to receive a hero's welcome when that works out because you know we've we've witnessed over the last couple of seasons how the family is all getting back together and it's you know yeah. whether it's you know five years from now ten years from now it just seems like things are set up for the long run for all players to feel they're they're welcome there at all times and 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 for guys coming into the program now to be able to, mm-hmm. to meet you and understand, you know, your story and what it means to play for Indiana. So right when they hit the floor, they understand what it means to have that name on their Jersey because they talked to a guy who was there for, you know, a tumultuous time and had an incredible right. career. So yeah, that, that'll be real good to see DJ back in assembly hall. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, man. Like I, I, I get all the, the alumni emails that they send and, I see all the guys going back. I see they got the Hall of Fame wall and all that. And, you know, that's great. I mean, that's what great programs do. They, you know, they have their former players come back, you know, and support the, support the younger guys coming up because it, it is a family. It know? is. Um, so so that, your first year, uh, did you want to hit anything specific? Oh, oh no, I was okay. good. So your first year ends with – personal accolades and like you said the team was in a bit of a rebuilding uh you went to the nit but you did lead the big 10 in scoring field goal percentage and blocks you win big 10 freshman of the year 13 points five rebounds two blocks you beat purdue twice which my god i mean if no other games are played we're happy with that um (laughs) but pressure is starting to mount on mike davis and that tenure at at this point Mm -hmm. do you feel that as a player at this point going into your sophomore year um, a little bit. I mean, we, we knew, and you know, coach Davis was a player's coach, you know, the guys, the guys cared about coach D and, you know, we, 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 we knew we, we heard things. Uh, so we knew pretty much that if we didn't have a great year, that everybody was going to be screaming for him to be gone. Um, yeah. Which so, you know, tough and, situation. And, and we had, Coming into that year, and I was excited because we had Marco Killingsworth coming in. Yeah, we had uh, Lewis Monroe, and we, I think we brought everybody back but Bracy because Bracy left for the NBA, and I, I can't remember. We had Earl Calloway came in, mm-hmm. uh, and and as freshmen we had grown up, so we were going to be really good that year. And I was excited. We you know we were working hard in Bloomington, getting ready. And season starts, boom, broke my foot. <laughs> so heartbreaking. That is that year. That was. I always look back to that year and it's like, 
what could have happened. No kidding. You know? I mean, also, like, um, another player that never gets talked about in IU history that is an awesome player is Robert Vaden. Vaden was oh, yeah, a stud. He was a he stud. Really was. And when you think about having Vaden and Wilmont and Strickland and Earl Calloway and then you and Marco down low, I mean, it is a stacked team. What was it like for you emotionally when you did break your foot, uh, I think, in one of the exhibition games, right? Or right before yeah, that? Yeah, that was a, maybe the first exhibition yeah. game. What, what did it do to you emotionally? How were you able to fight through that? I mean, I just tried to look at the, you know, the brighter picture. That At that time, I was supposed to be able to come back in January. So I was just, you know, doing my training, getting ready to try to finish in January, get back in January and, and make a run in the tournament because I really believe that team could have made a big run. We had everything. Um, and, you know, those guys did a great job. Rob, Robert, I remember Robert Vaden really stepped up. Marco had a great year, obviously, but RV really, really took another level that year, took, mm-hmm. took it to another level. And, um, and then he ended up hitting a game-winning shot in the NCAA tournament that year. That's right. <laughs> Against yeah. uh, San Diego State? Yeah, San Diego State. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so. So was that, how hard was it for you, man, though, just being on the sidelines watching that? I mean, you're a competitor. You want to be out there. And, and also, I don't want to lose sight of this. When you came into Indiana, you had your sets, sights set on the NBA. And you knew that yeah. being in the NBA in two to three years was a real possibility. Are you starting right. to think that year, like, is this going to cost me? Uh, kind of, it runs through your head because actually I had a great freshman year and I, and I looked into, to, to going to the draft, but I, I, um, didn't make that decision obviously, but that second year was so to speak chatter that, you know, I had a chance to, to go and be first round if I had a good year. So I was motivated by that. I was motivated by the team being able to have a good year and, you know, it sucked. It, it really did suck. Yeah. Um, Getting hurt because at the time I had a chance to go against Duke. They had uh, Josh McRoberts at the time, Sheldon Williams, uh, uh, JJ Reddick. It was a huge matchup. It should have been Indiana, and you know Duke came to to play us. So I was very disappointed. I missed that game. I missed Kentucky. Uh, so you know I missed some big games that I really wanted to be a part of. So this would be the time we ask you, how great of a dude and how great of a trainer is Tim Garl, and, and how did My, he help you get through that? TG. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I love TG. Me and TG still talk. You know, we talk every now and then through text. He always checks on me. But uh, it was cool, man. Uh, Tim's a great chain. He's been there for, I don't know how long, 30-plus years, 35 years maybe, since something like that. Yeah, I mean, since the 70s. Yeah, so uh, it was good, you know, you know, getting get, – uh, been getting a chance to get closer to him, being with him almost every day. Um, and he got me back right, you know. Um, unfortunately, I broke it again. But yeah, uh, he, so, he, he, he got me in a position to, you know, to be ready to go. But what, I mean, I, I just, I cannot imagine the emotional toll that takes on someone. You bust your ass to get back. Rehabbing is not easy. You want to be mm-hmm. out there with your teammates. You come out there, you're back for like five or six games. And then you break it again. What I mean, 
How, who do you lean on? You know, is Mike Davis helping you at that point? Obviously, Tim Garl. Who are your kind of close friends that are helping, or your family who you said you're close to, just propping you up to say you got to fight through this. It's going to get better yeah, one day. I probably leaned on my family the most during that time. Yeah. Uh, you know, just just talking to them through the phone, just staying positive. You know, it's part of part of plans. Things happen like that, and uh, you know, there's nothing I could do is out of my control. Um, I think I came back too fast, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say I was pushed or anything like that, but you know, it just it just happened. I think I came. I was a little anxious. Everybody was anxious for me to get back, so. I just think I came back a little too fast. Um, you were the big, and, you were the reigning Big Ten freshman of the year, which Eric mentioned up front. But I think we need to mention that again because it's 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 a colossal accomplishment. And when you then are coming back to a team you think has a real shot at a run, and oh yeah, and if you don't have that run, you might lose your coach. It's just anybody I think would be just chomping at the bit to get back out there. But but right. when it did rebreak. Was it like, oh my gosh, I'm right back into the nightmare? Is it the same sort of approach? And you're like, I just got to do it again, or or how's the second round of rehab go? Well, the second the second round, it was it was more for me. I mean, I just need to chill and <laughs> take a <laughs> take take a long break and just get right because I had to look at the bigger picture because at that point I still wanted to to be in the nba so i mean a second foot break is not good and a third would be i'll be done Mm -hmm. so um i just took a step back um and just went at it slowly and you know i got i i got i got right so you know i was fine i i think really toward the end of that season in the ncaa tournament i was a hundred percent but it was just too risky. I missed the whole season to come back and play one game. So I just we just decided not to uh, not to not to play that game. Well, the other thing that's happening as you are now dealing with the second break, and the team is is struggling a bit, and there is yeah. just the tension around the program is at a fever pitch, and it forces Mike Davis ultimately to resign before the end of the season. Um, this is the guy that your family kind of knows you committed to play for, and now he's out, and you're nursing an injury and, and coming back from rehab. What is your mindset at the end of that year? Are you thinking, I got to get out of here at this point? I thought about it. Um, it definitely was a discussion that was on the table um, for a length, lengthy amount of time. Um, you know, I talked to my family. I talked to talk – to, uh, Coach Davis about it. I talked to my high school coach, Coach Fitzpatrick, about it. Um, but ultimately, I just decided that that wasn't in the best interest for me to go sit out another year, to go wherever I would have went. And, I mean, where else am I going to go? Well, my I mean, thought I could have been other places, but. Because Coach Davis, when when did you know he was going back to, to UAB to coach and that Robert Vaden was going to go with him? Was that not until you had already decided you were going to stay? I mean, that was part of the thinking uh, of, of at the time of me going back to, to play with him, to back to Alabama. But, I mean, two two things ran into my mind. And it's, one, um, I don't want to sit out a second year, two right. years in a row. Mm-hmm. 
And the second is Indiana UAB. Yeah. No comparison. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as far as basketball programs, it's, it's no way. And that's just how I felt at the time. Like I said, I had a, a goal. I had a personal goal in mind. And I had a dream that I wanted to accomplish. And it wasn't, I hadn't accomplished that yet. And I don't, and UAB for me at the time wasn't the place to do that or anywhere else. Right. Um, so I, I decided to, to stay. So the other thing that happens right around that time is we bring in our new coach. And we bring in mm-hmm. Kelvin Sampson. And I remember, again, at the time, it was all about, is DJ going to stay? You know, because if you didn't stay, that next year would have been just horrific. And if you did stay, we were, there was really some thought that, you know what, there is a team here to build around, and Kelvin is a good coach and gets a lot out of his players. I assume Kelvin reaches out to you pretty quickly after he gets the job, probably on a phone call because the guy loves to make phone calls. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but uh, but what was that first interaction like with Kelvin Sampson? Um, as I can, the first time we talked, I think it was at his press conference. Might have been after um, we got a chance to talk, and I, I had pretty much made the decision already at the time. Hmm. I, I don't think I told him during that conversation, but I knew I, w- I wasn't going to leave. Uh, you know, it was a good conversation. Uh, I think he. If I can remember correctly, he, he said, you know, tomorrow we're going to have morning workouts. Uh, I know you, you're trying to make a decision. If you want to come, you're more than welcome to come. But if not, I won't hold it against you. Uh, I think that was the extent of it. And he expressed he wanted me to stay. Uh, and, you know, I, I did. I went to the morning workout that next morning. And, you know, the rest is history. I, I stayed. And the other thing that happens during that summer is and into the fall is that obviously you're coming back healthy. It's Kelvin's first year. And Eric Gordon, who had committed to Illinois, right around Hoosier hysteria for your 06, 07, your junior year, commits to Indiana. And it feels Mm -hmm. like now, oh, man, this program is going to be rolling here. Uh Do you remember the energy being kind of brought back into the program at that time? Oh, yeah, I remember. Because uh, Coach Coach Sanson brought a lot of big-time recruits on campus. Right. Um, uh, a lot of those guys really wanted to come because you know he was he was turning it around as far as getting getting that elite talent back. And with Eric coming, you know, a lot of guys wanted to come play with Eric. I mean, we almost got Derrick Rose. Yeah, um, we really it was between us and Memphis. I don't I don't know what happened. Oh, I, oh, you want me to tell you what happened? <laughs> we got a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got, I got some ideas. The the idea comes in tens, twenties, and hundreds. Right, right. That's what happened. <laughs> So I really thought we were going to get him. Um, and that would have been crazy for my senior year. But uh, but back to your yeah. to your question. But yeah, yeah, I, I did feel the energy. Everything was turning around once Eric decided to come. Um, well, one guy I, I think we should bring up here, because when you watch DJ dunk alley-oop highlights, a lot of times Eric's feeding him the ball. But the other guy mm-hmm. who shows up a lot is one Lance Stemler. Can you talk about Lance as a dude and a teammate? Could you say that last part? I'm sorry, I couldn't. Oh, yeah. Well, in a lot of your highlights, when you, you see uh-huh. you're getting fed the ball so you can jam it down somebody's throat, a lot of the times you're being fed, if it's not Eric Gordon, a lot of the time it's coming out of Lance Stemmler's hands. So what is Lance oh, yeah. Lance like as a dude and, and as a teammate for you back in the Bloomington days? Uh, as a dude, that's one of my best friends. I mean, Lance was in my wedding. Uh, he, was, he was my roommate my senior year. 
So I love Lance as a person, as a as a as a player. Me and Lance kind of connected on his visit. Um, he took a visit, I think, the summer going into my junior year. Yeah, that's when it would have been. Yeah, yeah, it was one of the JUCOs yeah. that Kelvin brought in. Yeah, and I don't know. We just had a connection on the court. We just connected, you know, on the court and off the court. Um, and you know, it just went from there. We just had some some connection. I, I can't even explain it. You know, we just found each other. Um, he was he knocked down threes. He fed it to me. He threw it to me. You know, and vice versa. Whenever I he he'll tell you I didn't pass to him, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, by the way, I don't care if you you shouldn't have. You needed to shoot the ball. <laughs> no matter how good a, a three point percentage he had, it wasn't as good as you down low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, my man Lance, bro. So that year starts. Um, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about. Clearly, you had you talked about coach Mike Davis. And by the way, we love Mike Davis. Mike Davis came mm-hmm. on our podcast. We were able to talk to him. We talked to him over like four hours, just such a nice. good human being. I mean, just a uh-huh. good guy. We love him. And we always felt like even when things were difficult for him at Indiana, like he was thrown into a really difficult situation that he even talks about. He, he wasn't prepared for, you know, he wasn't yeah, he ready was, for that. Yeah. Um, he was yeah. good guy. What was your relationship like with Kelvin? Was it a very different relationship than what you had with Mike? It was different at first. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it was different. Um, Coach was, at the time, at the time I thought he was very tough on me, which, I mean, he was. Right. But I appreciate him for that because it, it changed me as a as a player and as a person. You know, he came in very structured. He got on me about everything defensively, especially, and rebounding. Um, mm-hmm. I think my numbers jumped both years with him, especially going into my senior year. And um, you know, he was just always on me. You know, he let he let me know that you know the team needed me, but at the same time, he held me very he held me accountable. Um, and and that's something I, I always appreciate about him. Well, you talk about changing as a player, which you did, obviously. Your, your rebounding numbers went through the roof and, and offensive numbers, but really rebounding and defense. You talk about him changing you as a person. You also changed physically. I mean, you mm-hmm. became a beast. Your shoulders yeah. were wide, but you really filled into your body. Um, did the conditioning change for you during like the year off and recovering from injury? Were you more focused on it than you had been before? Or is this just the natural course of becoming older and more physically mature? Well, it changed because when Coach Sampson came in, he he made a lot of changes to the program as far as we had our own dedicated strength and conditioning coach. He brought one in. And he made that a point that we needed one just for basketball because before we were just going over to the football complex using one of their guys. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Uh, or whatnot. Yeah, so he brought in Coach Watkinson, Jeff Watkinson. I think Coach, coach Watt. Uh, is is an assistant with the Utah Jazz now. Um, And really became like Eric Gordon's guy, right? Exactly, exactly. He he worked, and I I lived in Indianapolis, you know, later on when I was in the NBA. He he trained both of us, but, you know, mainly Eric. He was with Eric all the time. But with him, man, he changed everything. He came in, I I lost weight, I toned up, I got stronger, more explosive. And um, that really, you know, helped me you know, on the court court as well. 
Well, as you guys start finding your way in this new era, it, it's kind of a up and down season. You win a few, uh, lose a few, smoke Purdue by almost 30 yeah. at home. That had to be fun. <laughs> uh, you take down number two, Wisconsin. So now, now you're getting ready to, to play in your first NCAA tournament. And you're going to go up against Gonzaga. What's that like? What's what's the preparation like? You know, you're making the trip out to Sacramento, which we'll segue to after your answer to a great story from Eric. But how much fun was that to finally be doing the thing you showed up to do, being on a really good Indiana team that had a chance to make a run? It was so fun. It was so fun. And I, we, we, we knew we were going to beat Gonzaga. We were so confident going into that game. Um, I can't remember what the public thought, but we didn't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was just a, it's a, it was a lifelong dream, you know, watching the NCAA tournament, watching one shining moment. And finally, after years, and, you know, they made it the year before, but I didn't get to play. So this is my first time playing. I've right. watched it in the stands, but now I'm playing. So I'm ready. I mean, I, let's, let's go. And, um, you know, it was a great experience. I'll never forget just, you know, the bus rides and, you know, the practices. I remember, you know, shooting half-court shots and practices, just, you know, relaxing, having fun. Um, so it was just – it was a great time. So in that game against Gonzaga, all you do in your first NCAA game, what a shock. You go for a double-double. 16 points, mm-hmm. 10 rebounds. By the way, four assists in that game. I'm not sure if you had four assists your whole career, but you had four assists Probably in that not. game. <laughs> Lance would agree with you. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that was rare. <laughs> uh, incredible game. You beat Gonzaga. By the way, in a, Indiana fans travel, but you're on the West Coast. There were a lot of Gonzaga fans there. Uh, and now you get to play... UCLA, a historic team on the West Coast. It's a home game for UCLA, basically, right. in Sacramento. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is in the middle of their run. This is when yeah. Howland has a click and they made three final fours in a row. And no one gave you guys a shot. No one. Mm-hmm. So here's the quick story about this game that I have to share with you because I've never been able to share <laughs> this with anybody who played for the team. Okay. So I live in Los Angeles. Ward and I live in L.A. I had never gotten a chance to see you play in person at this point. I mm-hmm. I think I went back to Indiana the year that you were injured. So I didn't get to see you. And it really pissed me off because I, <laughs> I loved watching you play and wanted to see you in person. Mm-hmm. So here you are playing in Sacramento. It's the second round. My friend Michael Williams, who went to Indiana with me, I'm like, we got to go. We got to go to Sacramento. We got to get up in the morning, take the flight from Southwest Airlines and get there. We got to mm-hmm. see DJ White play. So we ride up there to watch this game against UCLA. And I'm going to let you talk a little bit about the game, and I'll tell you what happened afterwards. But I'll just suffice to say that we get to the game, and we made a deal with the cab driver to pick us up after the game right outside the arena because there was only one flight left to get us back to L.A. that night. And everything had to go according to plan. Like, if any of the games went long, we were screwed. Well, it just right. so happens that the game before you, I think, goes into double overtime. Double overtime, yes. yeah. <laughs> okay? So I am sweating. Yeah. By the way, I also want to set the stage here. I, uh, I am not blessed with a lot of hair, but I had grown my hair out a little bit so that I could carve an IU into the back of my head for this game. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we go up. I'm an idiot. And double overtime. And I, we're already starting to sweat, but I'm like, we're going to watch this game. And then comes maybe the ugliest half of basketball that has ever been played. <laughs> what do you remember about that first half in that game? 
Uh, I remember the very first play of the game. I caught the ball on the low box, and they trapped me, and I just threw it out of bounds. I'm thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh, because this is the number two seed, but we settled in. Um, I can't really – honestly, you got to refresh my memory. I can't remember the first half. Do you, rem- you So you have no idea what the score was at, at halftime? I'm thinking it was very low. It was very low. Go ahead and guess what you think maybe the score might have been. Maybe 26 to 33 or something like that. Okay, you ready? UCLA yeah. had 20 and Indiana had 13. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot. I yeah. guess it was a defensive matchup. It <laughs> was. And, and that's what UCLA was known for at the time, which is yeah. odd for a West Coast team. But Howland did that high hedge, you know, ball screen thing. Uh-huh. And, you, and Samson, obviously, was all about defense. This was just a heavyweight fight, body blow right. after body blow. You were killing it on the boards. I mean, yeah, any board I, around you, you had, you had 14, 13, 14. 14 yeah, yeah, rebounds yeah. in the game. Second half, though, you guys cut the lead. And you uh-huh. guys make it like we're down by two. Earl Callaway starts scoring, right? And yeah, then, I remember this now. do you remember the play that happens out of bounds that the that – Ben Howland, the coach of UCLA, what he was doing on the sidelines. When we took it out? Yes. I don't remember what he did, but I I, I remember but it was the play was between Lance and Earl. Yes. Uh well I'm not gonna get into that about what happened. <laughs> <laughs> because hey, listen, every time they see each other, they, like they both were in my wedding. <laughs> and they bring it up every time they see each other. They argue about who fault it was. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but here's so the I'm truth. I'm not gonna get into that one. But no, but DJ, um, here's the truth. It was neither of their faults. It was Ben uh, Howland's fault. He was guarding the inbounder. He was I on definitely. the court with his hands up, preventing our team from seeing the play. Oh wow! And the I gotta rest, Google it you gotta go. See. You gotta go back and look at it. I was behind him. We had made our way down, and we were right behind it. We could see. It was unbelievable. The guy was, like, guarding our team. And it was oh, Lance wow. throwing it inbounds, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, he was guarding Lance. He was guarding Lance, that son of a bitch. Wow. So it's a heavyweight game. We end up losing in just a tight game. Scoring picks up. We lose by five because of free throws at the end. You go mm-hmm. for 12 and 14. Of course, a double-double. But I, So two things happen here. One, obviously I wanted to beat UCLA and I was pissed off. But all I could think about was, if DJ comes back next year, we're going to be awesome. (laughs) Because it just seemed like Samson had turned it around. The attitude Mm -hmm. of the team was tough. The second thing that happened was our flight was about 27 minutes away from leaving. We ran outside. The cab driver was not there. So I made a deal with a Sacramento meth head for him to drive oh, wow. us for $20 in his hatchback Honda Civic. And I had to lay down in the hatchback. And this guy drove like 120 miles an hour. <laughs> he was driving in the wrong lane. And he got uh, us to the airport. And we were the last ones on the plane. And everybody gave us an ovation when we made the plane. Oh, well, I'm glad you made it safe. <laughs> but it was all about seeing you. And seeing you up close... And being able to watch how you play the game, the emotion, the intensity, the rebounding, it just cemented for me your greatness as an IU player and did feel really good about moving forward. 
So, then, oh, sorry. I was going to say, and, and, and you, were you had more before the next season? I was just going to mention the Pan Am games. That oh, yeah. Okay. Great. After that. Yeah. Well, well, how did you even get uh, notified that the Pan Am games were a possibility? How did that process go? And, and what was it like representing your country? Uh, it was it was great representing the country. Um, I I think I, I can't remember. I, I think they just contacted the university and said, "Hey, I think they they picked maybe thirty guys, or I can't remember the right number that to try out for the team." And I was you know I was honored. Um, I I look forward to it. I, I worked hard that summer. Uh, me and um, me and Coach Watkinson, Coach Senderoff, um and prepared for. That. I really wanted to make that team. I definitely want to really want to make that team. So I put a lot of effort into to training that summer to make the team. And it just meant a lot uh, first to represent the university and also to represent your country. Um, so it, it was a pretty cool experience. Again, only eight players in the history of Indiana University have ever played for the Pan Am Games. Only eight. Wow. wow. And so who else was on the team? Where did you guys play? And and what did you take away from that going into your, your final season at IU? Uh, we, we played in Brazil. Um, I know it was me, Joey Dorsey, who was at Memphis. Uh, Eric Maynard was on that team. Uh, who else was on this team? It was so long ago. I'm trying to think of some other guys that was on there. Kyle Weaver, he played with me at Oklahoma City. Uh, Richard Hendricks. Um, I can't remember who else was on the team. And at, now how long Martin, were you guys down there for? We were gone a long time. Uh, maybe uh, because we went for training camp. We had to go train. Then we left. We, we were playing games in the States, and then we flew. So maybe we were gone like two or three weeks. Mm. Um, you also to, had to do the whole thing. a couple other guys on that team uh, of note. Roy Hibbert was on that team. Roy Hibbert. I forgot about Roy. Was Drew Neisel on that team? Uh, yes. Drew Neitzel was Drew on Neitzel, the team. Yeah, Drew Neitzel was on the team. James Gist. Yeah, um, Wayne Ellington, Scotty Reynolds. Wayne Ellington. Right, there we go. Now I mean, refresh my memory. You had a team, <laughs> man. And Jay Wright was your coach for that. Coach, coach Wright was a coach, yep. What was it like playing for Jay? It was cool, man. He's a very laid-back coach. Um, um, very informative. Um, I like I liked his coaching style. Um, Explained stuff well, very calm. Uh, knew how to uh, how to motivate his players, um, so it, it was it was a good experience playing with him. Now, the other thing, because of course nothing can be easy for you at Indiana. Your your four years were just met with turmoil and tension everywhere you looked. So Samson's first year, even though it does seem like things are getting turned around, there is this cloud of these violations that mm-hmm. may or may not come, and it seems like it's going to come. We just don't know when. And then right before right. the 07, 08 season, it it kind of hits again and Indiana gets the notice from the NCAA and it's all, it's all bad news. What do you remember about coming back from the Pan Am games? Eric Gordon is now in tow on this team. Do you remember that being part of the tension was, was the uncertainty of what was going on here? Uh, at the time we didn't really understand. Like we just was like, it's just nothing. We didn't, we didn't understand how, how serious it was. If one more, violation you know if he had one more violation so me personally I know I really didn't understand I was just coming off the Pan Am games I had a great great tournament um and I was just ready to get the season started so I really 
I don't think I really paid too much attention to it at the time. So you kept your head down, and, and now you had several new teammates. Of course, Eric Gordon. What was he like coming in with all this hype, and, and what was the reality of him as a, as, a, as a person, as a teammate, and what was it like playing with him out on the court? I mean, all the hype was real. I mean, he came in, he, he came in dominating, you know, I had watched him before, but just to see him live, just, I mean, I knew he was a top 10 pick easily. Um, and he was just a, he's a cool guy, laid back guy, quiet guy. Um, so I knew me and him and also the other guys coming in, we had talented guys coming in that year. Um, so I, I knew he was going to be, he was going to do his thing. I knew he was going to know he was going to have a great year. He was motivated as well, you know? Yeah. Um, of course, he wanted to go to the NBA. He knew that he could be a top pick. So, you know, he was motivated to have a good season uh, individually and team as, as well. One button on the Pan Am games. DJ, you were the MVP of the team, correct? Right. right. Yeah. yeah, I think I led the team in scoring and rebounding, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, you did. And by the way, you shot 68.3% from the field in the Pan Am games. I mean, wow. you you were in a groove here that led right into this senior year where you are the senior, Eric Gordon, the stud freshman, you've still got some really good pieces around, and you guys just start off like gangbusters. You smoke yeah, Kentucky, smoke uh-huh. them. You score 16 and 13 in that game. You beat Purdue again. You go for 19 and 15. And then you have a game at Michigan that is one of the all-time great games as an Indiana Hoosier, not just for you, for anyone. You remember this game? Yeah, I remember that game. I think I had 21 and 22. Yes, you did. <laughs> what What was it about that game? Did, did Were you in that thing that we hear about, the zone? Yeah, I was in the zone that game. I really was. I, I remember that game. I don't know what it was. I, it might have been an early Sunday game, and I don't know why I was in the zone, but I was in the zone. I couldn't miss – I got everything. I was jumping above the rim. I just felt great. I was grabbing everything. I don't know. I felt good. <laughs> so, well, that, that's probably I, – I definitely remember that game. I want to give you some historical context on that game. So that game took place in 2008. The last mm-hmm. time anybody at Indiana had that many rebounds was in 1971, 37 oh, years wow. earlier, by a guy named George McGinnis. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty good company you're keeping at Indiana in your senior year. The, the, right. <laughs> the big, another big game that happens after that that I want to get your take on was this very heated game at Illinois where Eric Gordon is going into the heart of the lion's den, the place that he spurned when he came back to Indiana and had committed mm-hmm. there. And that game was intense from the handshakes in the starting lineup uh, announcements. Right. <laughs> you remember that? I remember the guy chest bump Eric. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. What do you? I remember? forget his name, but it uh, was exactly no. Don't even. Don't speak. even give yeah. his name. We don't need <laughs> to. Exactly. What yeah, do you? I forget his name. Do you remember that environment though? Yeah, I remember that environment. It was just. I mean, I feel like it was tension every whenever we landed. I don't know. It was just. We knew what it was going to be that whole trip. Uh, we going into that that game. Um, so we wanted to win for him. Um, just, we know he took a lot of, a lot of backlash for his decision not to go to Illinois. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on between the coaching staff and our coaching staff. Um, so we knew how heated and how heated that game would be. Yeah. Cause Bill Self, or not Bill Self, uh, 
Bruce Weber was the coach, Bruce right? Bruce Weber. Yeah. Uh-huh, and who, uh-huh. yeah, and he's a bitch. But so Bruce, <laughs> that's right. I can say it. You don't have to say it. He okay. he's a whiny little bitch, and he right. was crying and whatever. And in that game at Illinois, as hostile of an environment as could be, they go out to a big lead. You guys battle mm-hmm. back. What does DJ White do? He throws in 16 to 9 because that's what he does. Yeah. Wait, you, wait. Yeah. Where, DJ, no double-double. No double-double. Come double. on, No double-double. Double. I was just thinking of that. Like, come on, man. <laughs> you guys win that game. Again, the team is cruising. You started off 17 and 1. You started off 22 uh-huh. and 4, 11 and 2 in the conference. You win your final game against Purdue, which is fortuitous for a couple reasons. Your last game against Purdue, which you end in a victory, which is awesome. And that is, of course, Kelvin Sampson's last game. And he is forced to resign or fired, however you want to say it. And then, let's just be honest, shit hits the fan with the team. It really did. Yes. So walk us through a little bit, DJ, because we've not really talked to anybody outside of Lance. What, what was happening there internally? Why did things fall apart so quickly when Sampson left? I mean, it's, I mean, you got your head coach and in the middle of the season, you know, we were playing a certain way. Everybody was used to a certain thing and then it just all stopped. Our momentum just stopped. It's unfortunate. Uh, A lot of the guys was close to Coach Sampson. A lot of guys really looked at him as a father figure, um, you know, for for whatever reason. And, you know, now he's gone. Uh, A lot of people came just to play for him. And, you know, all that happened in the middle of the season. Now, you got to think we're 17 through 18, 19-year-old guys, 20-year-old guys. So, you know, that type of adversity, you know, it's just it's just different. Uh, you know, we're young and, I don't know, it just didn't happen how, how, how we wanted to finish, you know. So, it just things just broke apart. There was a lot of media coverage and just a lot of, a lot of different things going on. So, well, and you as a- end, exactly – Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm spinning. Well, and you as a senior, and and you know what this team is capable of, mm-hmm. and and this your last hurrah for the cream and crimson. Was there anything you felt you you know you wanted to do? You tried to do leadership, but that there just wasn't the support from the other players, or now the coaching staff that's there. I just have to imagine like you you saw it all running through your fingers and you're just one guy. What did you did you try to rally the troops or was it like, look, I'm gonna go out here and play my ass off and you know Eric is and you guys can follow us and get in line or this can all fall apart. How did how did you deal with it as a as a senior? I mean, I was pissed to be honest. I was I was pissed about the decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just feel like and I know some things are bigger than basketball or whatnot, but, I mean, me at the time, as a, I think I was 20 at that time, me as a 20-year-old looking at it from a selfish point of view is, is, my, is my, <laughs> my last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my third coach in four years. Um, and I think when I want to say I know we were top 10. It mm-hmm. might have been even higher than that. I, I'm not sure the ranking. I think you got we up to eight. To eight, yeah. Eight. Yeah, we, we're t- eight. We're playing great. We're on the top of the standings in the Big Ten, trying to win a Big Ten championship, and this happened. So I was pissed off with the with the administration. Sure, that's my look. That's my look at it. Then you know, I was pissed off, and the team was pissed off. You know, like we're playing great. Why do this now? Do it at the end of the season. I mean, 
who's who's to say they could have did it or they didn't do it. I mean, you know, it, it, it stuff happens. It's part of part of life, part of the game. Uh, but that's just how I was at that time. I was pissed off, and uh, the guys were too. Um, so there's two things really happening. There's the stuff happening with the coach, and Samson is now gone, and they hand the reins over to Dan Dockich. But the other mm-hmm. thing that's also happening, and we've all heard stories for the last 10 years, 12 years, that mm-hmm. there are some players on this team who are just not bought in and doing things that aren't great for uh, the health of a team. Or, or and, the health of their body. Or the health of themselves, yes. But we, and I, we don't, I'm not asking to get into names of anybody. But one yeah. thing I have heard from a couple different people, DJ, and it speaks to you and your character, is we've heard from various people that Eric Gordon at the end of this year you know, because Eric's got his sights set on the NBA. And if there was any talk uh-huh. of him coming back for a year or two, which I doubt, but Samson getting fired in this turmoil, he's gone. He's going to the NBA. Uh-huh. And he didn't feel very good about what was going on. In fact, he was forced to almost move, I think, move off campus and live with a family friend at the end. And some of the players on the team really gave him a hard time for it. And what, from what I understand... You and and EJ really became close, and you really stuck up for him uh, in this time. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any of that? I remember us becoming close. I mean, me and Eric were always kind of close, but I know at that time, and we might not have spoken verbally, but we knew that it was time for me and him to try to, you know, step up and you know, take the team to another level. Uh, I mean. I really don't want to get into a lot of things that happened back then, but uh, I mean, for me personally, I I know I just I just wanted to kind of move on from the situation and, and kind of trying to uh, have a a great end of the season because at the same time we were still in contention for the Big Ten championship. Yeah, and that was that was the goal. So you know, it was I think we had a game in Illinois. It was it was crazy. Not Illinois. I'm sorry, Northwestern. Right. It was crazy after that we won, and, you know, I just kind of tried to put it behind us because, you know, it was talk of us not wanting to play. You know, I, at, at the time, to be honest, I didn't want to play that game because, like I said, I was pissed off. I really sure. was. He should have been. <laughs> you Your know? coach was taken so, away from you. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, so I was, I was pissed off. So all the talk about, you know, the coach, the, the guys didn't want to play, I mean, I didn't want to play, to be honest. But I but I ended up playing. Everybody ended up playing. We won the game. And, it, you know, it had nothing to do with the, the coaches who – who took over or nothing like that. It was just, I was just pissed off from the whole situation and how everything went down at the time. So that's well, just how I felt at the time. One of the things Lance told us was that, you know, obviously Kelvin Sampson has instituted a system now for two years, for almost two full years. Mm-hmm. And exactly. Coach Dockich comes in and he's coached under Bobby Knight and he's coached at Bowling Green and he's got his own philosophy. Yeah. And he literally changed the whole philosophy of the team, the way you played offense, the way you played defense. And uh-huh. doing that at the end of the year was just debilitating to the team. Yeah, it was it was tough. Like I said, it was adjustments. But, you know, every coach wants to come in and, and put a put a stamp on, uh, you know, put his stamp on things or how he feels it should be. And uh, not to say that's right or, right or wrong. I mean, you know, as a head coach, that's, you know, you kind of want to, put in your own philosophies, but at the time it was tough, you know, just to transition like that to different things and getting used to a new voice and all this going around the program. Cause you know, we're a story program. So there's a lot of media coverage. So 
just an unfortunate situation, man. We was losing games we shouldn't have lost. I think we lost at Penn State. Like, come on, man, who loses at Penn State? Back then? <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, so. and then, and then you get, I mean, one of the worst endings ever against Minnesota. Oh, don't mention it. oh man, Wait, oh, I man. want, I wanted to go back to the last good moment. The Purdue game? Well, no, no, it's senior night. Oh, okay. And you you won at senior night, and nobody has been through more adversity from an injury standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, than you in your four years. But at the end of the day, your last game in Assembly Hall, you guys take down Minnesota. What was uh-huh. it like to play your last game there? And and for whatever controversy was surrounding the program. I certainly hope that the fans that night expressed to you their gratitude and, and appreciation for those four years. What, it, what did it feel like to, to, to go off the court that night a winner? Uh, it felt good, man. That night was very emotional. I had my, all my family from Alabama was there. Um, they drove up. and I mean, they drove up often, but, you know, that night was just special. Um, you know, to win in front of that crowd, my, my last game there, um, to know everything that I – that I went through, you know, the good and the bad. And I'm happy, honestly, about everything that I went through because it made me a, a stronger person uh, facing adversity and different things like that and just continue to to do what you have to do no matter what. But, um, I mean, that night was – it'll always, always be memorable. Um, just the, the love that I got from the fans, the chant, you know, the chills that I got um, – after my speech, I was so nervous about my speech, but I think I did a good job. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was it was it was pretty cool, uh, cool, a surreal moment. Because you were you were our bedrock for the for four seasons. You know, obviously you were mm-hmm. injured, and, and and that was you know other guys on that particular team. But through that that whole storm, it was it was you weathered it and and came out a, a leader and a great player. And a Big Ten Player of the Year. Yeah, I mean, come on, you were named Big Ten Player of the Year, that and you had, and you had Eric Gordon on your team. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. How, and you shot sixty point five percent from the field. That is unheard right. of. How good did it feel to get that accolade at the end of this long journey? Oh, it felt great. I, like I said before, it felt it felt awesome. That's probably my most, you know, my favorite award that I. I receive or accolade that I received at Indiana because it's just a testament to everything I went through and still at the end I prevailed and you know I, I did what I was supposed to do um, so so even even through that season you know after Coach Samson left um, I continued to, to just have a good year so I'm, I'm very very happy about that and you know it was a very special season you, you had mentioned something about getting uh, the the second breaking of your foot where you're like, it was out of my control. I'd imagine when so much of this has been out of your control, is part of what you've learned just to focus on what you can control? Exactly. That's it. That's all you can do. And I still use that today in life. I still try to teach that to my kids. I mean, it's, you can't control. You can control. Coach used to say you control your attitude and your effort. And uh, that's all I could control. I mean, I broke my foot. There's no reason to dwell on it. Or if anything happened, Coach Sampson got fired. Even though I did dwell on it for a little bit, but eventually hmm. I moved on from it and continued the season. Um, you know, that's all you really can do is just move on. You mentioned, and when we started this, that there were things going on behind the scenes for you personally that we never even knew. 
I know, uh, and I want to touch on the the last game that you played as a Hoosier, but but before I do, I know that not too long after you had some jaw issues that required surgery. Right. Were you right. dealing with that stuff at Indiana as well? Yeah, I dealt with that. That's one. Of, that's what I was talking yeah. uh, relating to when I said uh, some personal things. Uh, did it? I'm trying to see. It happened after my freshman year, so right before I broke my foot. Um, I was having some problems in my jaw and, you know, I was just, you know, I was just a toothache, just a toothache, blah, 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 you know, end up going to the dentist and he thought it was a cyst, but actually it turned out to be a benign tumor. Wow. So I had to, I, I'm trying to think, make sure I'm telling the story right. Yes, it was after my freshman year and I, I had surgery. You did? To, you had uh, the surgery after yeah, your freshman year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we scra- did not know that. Yeah, they scraped it out. They uh, they took it out through my mouth, but then it came back right after I got drafted, and then I, I had a long little journey with that. Mm. And now, just to skip ahead, you're totally fine when it comes to that stuff. We're good there. Oh yeah, I'm good. I just got a little bone plate in my jaw, a little swelling in my jaw, but other than that, I'm 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 fine. It's nice. You can get hit. You can get somebody can clock you in the jaw and hurt their hand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk for a second. I know it's not the best of memories, but the last game you played as an Indiana Hoosier is in the NCAA tournament against a tough Arkansas team. You do go for 22-9. and nine. It's a really tough game. We don't play very well as a team. And, it, and at this mm-hmm. point, the wheels are off the bus on this team. Yeah, it was, now, yeah. look, I know you don't want to talk about stuff that happened. So I'm just going to say <laughs> something, and you can say true or false. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> he sounds skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> halftime of that game, halftime of that game, it gets yeah. so heated that you and Coach Dockage have to be separated. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. Um, how do you deal? I, I just don't even... Under, do you think it's like an explosion for you of all four damn years that you've been there? <laughs> nothing has been easy. And then finally you have this guy. And look, we've gotten to know Dockich a little bit. He's a strong-willed, uh, stubborn-ass, pig-headed uh, guy. I mean, I think he would be the first to say that too. Um, and that it just exploded in that moment. Was it just you releasing everything you needed to release? I mean, it was just a, a situation where, yeah, I guess I did need a release. But, uh, I mean, I have no problem with him. It was just one of those things, you know, where in a, in a sports, we both wanted to win. He def- he wanted to win. I wanted to win. And, you know, I think he might have said something I didn't like, and I said something. He didn't like what I said, and it just happened, you know. Do, <laughs> so do, that, I mean, do you those know- things happen. DJ, sorry, go ahead. do you know how many fans out there wish you would have just knocked him out? <laughs> by the way, by the way, it's about half and half, I think. I think there's half that really yeah. wish you would have knocked him out and half that wish he would have put you in a headlock. Like something right. like that. That's he Probably, is so polarizing. Yeah. There's people Wait, on both sides. Well, I would see that yeah. if it was is is Dan Dockage in a vacuum, but when DJ's on the other side, that's true. I, I think everybody's <laughs> rooting for DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's that's funny. I actually forgot about that until you brought it up. But yeah, <laughs> man, it was just it was just heated because we, we both wanted to win. Everybody wanted to win. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, I have I have no problem with him. I, I haven't talked to him in years, but, I mean, I'm sure if I see him, everything will be cool. So, well, just one of those, one of those things. Your, your career ends with 22 points and nine rebounds. 
And now your Indiana career is behind you, and it is time to realize that lifelong dream of playing mm. in the NBA. Um, what is it like getting ready for the NBA draft? Was there a were you doing workouts for teams? What do you remember from that time period before the draft? Well, I left right away after school to go. To, I was in Phoenix most of the from maybe two weeks after. Once I graduated, I didn't walk or anything like that. But once I left, I, I, I passed on walking. Just give me my diploma. Let's go. Time to go. <laughs> but but let's so, but, but but you did graduate. I mean that's important. Yeah, you did yeah, get did your graduate. degree from yeah. Indiana, which is yeah. commendable. Right. I did get my degree. So I left and went to uh, Phoenix to work out. Um, I was working out there with Darius Miles. He was part of my agency at the mm. time and, and another trainer. And then I think in June, I started working out for the draft. I think I worked out for 10 teams. Um, and, you know, I got got that call one night from, uh, well, actually it was Seattle. Well, actually it was Detroit and then right. I got traded to Seattle. So. What, 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 what was draft night like? I mean, obviously there's that tension, you know, are you going to go in the first round? And, and you know, you, did you get the suit? Kind of take us through that night. Because that is, that is one of the nights you'll remember for the rest of your life. Well, I um, I had a good feeling that I was going to go first round for a number of things, for a number of reasons. Well, I, I was in Alabama. And um, after I finished my workout, I made it finish my last workout maybe four or five days before the draft. And a couple of teams wanted me to come back, and Seattle was one. And also, I knew Detroit really loved me because, you know, it came out in the media earlier that it was a promise for Detroit to draft me if I got to them, which I don't know if it was true. <laughs> Maybe it was, but they did end up drafting me. Uh, so I had a good feeling that I was going to go somewhere in the first round. But I'll tell you what, I started getting nervous once it started hitting 25, <laughs> 26. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was in like I said, I was in Tuscaloosa at a restaurant, uh, just with my family in a little room, you know, just hanging out, eating wings and, and things like that, just having a good time, trying to hide my nervousness and you know, that's that was my draft there. Well and, and then what what was that moment when the, the pick comes in, you get the phone call and, and you're looking into your family's eyes and you all realize, you know, they're the ones who have been with you from the beginning. And you're, right. you're all going to the NBA together. That's got to be magical. Right. No, it, was, it was magical, man. Like I said, uh, when that 29th pick came up, I said to myself, if this ain't it, I knew Boston wasn't going to take me after that. And they called my name, and I just put my – I definitely cried. Oh, <laughs> I put my head down, shed a couple of tears, and my father was right there with me, and my mother was right there with me, everybody, sisters. So and it was a wonderful feeling. That's and then, beautiful. Um, Yep. And then and then you're traded not long after that to Seattle, which then moves to Oklahoma City, right? Because you never played in Seattle. Exactly. I I went to Seattle the next day. Or actually the next day, me and my parents flew we flew out to uh Seattle and, and we get there, uh, you know, shower and whatnot and go to breakfast and you know, Clay Bennett, the owner, is like Basically, giving us a speech. Well, we might move to Oklahoma City, and we might not. I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, we're moving to Oklahoma City. So. <laughs> and I love Seattle. When I was there, I was there for like three days. Uh, just I got a chance to work out once they draft me, and uh, with the other guys who got drafted, walking around the city. I'm like, 
you know, I never lived on the West Coast. Right. I'm like, oh, I'm going to love this. It's so beautiful <laughs> in Seattle. And the summer, and then all of a sudden, I'm not there anymore. So, Well, I just had a vision as you were telling the story that was going to go, so we showed up at uh, the Sonics headquarters, and there was a <coughs> we've moved sign. And then you had to get on a, a plane to OKC. I mean, they basically should have. We should have just flew straight to Oklahoma City because they knew. Wow. <laughs> then, how long after that, do you have to get the jaw surgery? I found out that it came back in August, August, September. So just a couple months after being drafted. Just a couple months after I got drafted. And then I missed all of my rookie year dealing with that. Um, I think I played seven, the last seven games of the season. Right. And then yeah. the, the next year – you you break your thumb, right? That's your second. I broke year. my thumb. At I this broke point, my thumb. I'm sorry. At this point, do you just think you're cursed? You're like, okay, that's it. <laughs> like, what Somebody up like, there what hates me. <laughs> the, the crazy thing is, I broke my thumb again, and but before that, I, I had the surgery. I had a guy do it in Oklahoma. He did the surgery the wrong way. Oh God damn it! So. It's safe for me to play the end of that year. I play. And after, I, I think, and then the next summer, after I broke my thumb, I had to go in, and that's when they put the bone plate in and the bone from my hip. So I was dealing with this my first two years. So it was just like, come on, man. man. And then I finally got a chance to settle in and, you know. So I, that's one thing I regret is, you know, I didn't get a chance to have you know, rookies are basically based on their first two years. I didn't get a chance to just be able to do do my thing, train, and get right. Uh, I mean, I lost on the first one of my surgeries. My mouth was wired shut for maybe a month. I was like, I, I lost so much weight because they had to keep my mouth shut. So I didn't get to train like I wanted to. You know, I was going into training camp not 100%. But, you know, it's part of it. Things happen for a reason. You know, just got to keep going. Well, then you do finally get, like you said, settle in. And I would follow your box scores. Every time you played, you were productive. I mean, you weren't right, playing right. a ton of minutes, but I think you're averaging like 15 to 17 minutes a game, but you're scoring seven yeah. to 10 points a game. You're getting four and five yeah. rebounds. And yeah. you, you turn into a, a pro for seven years in the NBA, seven seasons right. in the NBA, which is nothing to, to, to you know, to Sneeze dismiss. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you make the decision, you know, to try your hand internationally. What was that yep. like? Um, and I think you bounced a little, right, between international and NBA at the end of the NBA's yeah. career? Yeah. I went to China, to Boston, China back, China back. I did that for a couple of years. Um, I mean, it was cool. I mean, China is, is, is different. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. Um but it allowed me to go over there, you know, play a little bit more and then come, come back to the NBA. Um, I did that for a couple of years. And then finally, you know, there was no more jobs for me in the NBA. So I just made the switch all the way to Europe. One nice thing about China is you'll never get lost in a crowd. You just see over everybody. That is true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and your family traveling, how, how is that to, to just deal with, you know, family life and kids bouncing between international, domestic. How how hard was that on you and your family? Well, it was. Well, at that time, I wasn't married, right? So it was easy for me to 
kind of do what I need to do by myself. But now, I mean, my kids love going overseas. That's great, especially the the, the five year old. She she loves it. She loves getting on the plane. She they didn't come this year because my wife was pregnant. She didn't want to use the doctors in Europe or whatnot. But they they come over often, um, and you know they love to travel. So it's easy, you know, adjusting with them. You know, them learning culture, the culture of you know different places where I live, and you know to say they grew up in this country or that country. So it's pretty cool experience. Oh yeah. So cool. They're going to be so worldly. Uh, Right. Exactly. Now, of course, there's no greater place in the world than Bloomington, Indiana. And no matter what the cuisines of China or Turkey or Oklahoma city are, we're most interested in your Bloomington favorites. What were your go-to restaurants? Like, what was your favorite pizza place and your favorite non-pizza place to go eat while you were in B-Town? Mother Bears? Yes. Mm -hmm. Correct. (laughs) Mother Bears for pizza. I love Scotty's. Oh, okay. I love Scotty's. I I was always at Scotty's. And uh, what's the break? Is it Village Deli or Village Pantry? Village Deli. Yep. Village Deli, yes. Those those are my spots. Those are my spots. Village Deli's got those pancakes that are as big as like, oh, you know, a UFO. Yes. If, Love those things. If we're being honest, yeah, I, I I spent more money at Village Pantry than at the Village <laughs> Deli. True. It was true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I, I tell my wife all the time, whenever we go to to back to Indiana on campus, I'm taking you for breakfast to Village Deli and we're getting those huge pancakes. That's that was in the big omelets. That was, that was yes. one of my favorites. Well, Dude. I would have to imagine, too, when you walk into the restaurant in Bloomington and they're like, guys, DJ's here, get ready. Because I just imagine a man of your size, you you consume a lot of food, do you not? Just to, just to maintain weight, especially when you're playing? It's got to be crazy. Do you have to double order stuff? Uh, Well, back in the day, I used to eat a lot. <laughs> That's why I was big. <laughs> I mean, but... But yeah, I used to eat a lot. I could down all the pancakes, the the, the huge omelet. I was I was a big eater back then. But now I'm kind of I'm a little skinny now, so to say. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever hit up Little Zagreb Steakhouse in Bloomington? Oh yeah, that was. Um, I forgot about Little Z. We used to. There used to be our place where we take recruits. Yeah, still is. So I used to. I used to write, so I used to order the, uh, a couple extra, you know, it's on the team tab, order a couple extra steaks and <laughs> take, it, take, take it back with me. So, yeah, take them home. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, what was your most hated class at Bloomington? Uh, hated class. I'm trying to think. It was a class I took my freshman year. Mm. Was it sports marketing? I tried a sports marketing class, and I just, I don't know. It just wasn't me. <laughs> just not your thing. You're like, you're like other guys, thing, so. other people are going to be marketing my sports, so why am right, I here? Right, right. Now, uh, would yeah. Scotty's count as your favorite bar in Bloomington, or is there another bar that you like going to? I like Nick's. There we go. There I like Nick's. Nick's is sports. Sport. Yeah. It was, uh, I think. Kilroy's, Kilroy's Sports. I think that's what they call it. Yep, yep. Those, those are my bars. Nick's was once I got of age, and um, I mean, <laughs> Kilroy's, what, what, you, know. you couldn't use fake IDs, DJ? You couldn't get away with that? <laughs> nah, I never tried to fake ID. I used to sneak in the back door, though. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I got to ask you one NBA question before we wrap this up. You've been so generous with your time. Uh, 
you played for seven years in the NBA. Who is the best player you ever played with or against? And who was the player that annoyed you the most to play against? The best player that I played with was probably Kevin Durant. Yeah. Uh, just, first of all, he's a good guy. Um, but just the talent, he was just, I don't even know how to describe how talented this guy is. He's the, he's, he's the best player in the world to me right wow. now. You put him to above. Me. You put him above LeBron and and above all those guys. Just my opinion. I put him above. Wow. I really do. Okay. I really do because I got a chance to see him day in and day out for three years, and I guarded him a couple times in, in practice. He's just, you know, I can't say enough about the skill level. It's just just talent you wouldn't believe. So okay, he's definitely the best and most annoying. Uh, what, <laughs> I really don't know if I could. Think of a most annoying player. I mean, I had trouble guarding a guy named Andre Blotch. He was he gave me trouble guarding him. Got it. But, um, but annoying, uh, uh, I can't really think about it that, that annoyed me. Okay, that's all right. The KD answer is a good one. That is, uh, mm-hmm. it's got to be pretty amazing playing with a guy like that for several seasons. Yeah, man. I mean, I got a chance to play with him, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. So, <sighs> yeah, those, those guys are just on a different level. I played with Kevin Garnett. And who was, who was my favorite? He's my favorite player. He's my favorite player as a kid. Right. So you know, I was when I found out I was going to Boston, I was so excited. Um, just to, and he was a little bit older when I was on the team, but still, you just could see, you know, the fire was still in him, and you know, I was just, I was just amazed. I had to hide it, but <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I was amazed to be his teammate, man. So it was pretty cool to, you know, to be with my favorite player on a daily. DJ, would you say, along with being your favorite player, that you you've never been around a human being who swears more than Kevin Garnett? Is that accurate? That might be true. I mean, he <laughs> says some he says some stuff to some of those guys, man. It was it was funny though. But I, when I play when I when I played against him, he was like that too. So you know, just talking all the time, man. He's the same way. So it was it was it was good playing with him, getting to know him. Well, DJ, look, we went through your career accomplishments, and there were several of those where I laid out one of only eight players to do this, one of only 10 to do that. Your name is all over the IU record books and will be forever because of the legacy you left behind there. But there is only one player in IU history that I shaved an IU into the back of my head, flew to (laughs) Sacramento, and then rode with a meth addict back to the airport. And that was for DJ White. So you will always be special in my uh, family and my Indiana fandom. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. It really means a lot. So thank you. Well, and DJ, we do these only with audio. We think it just makes the guests more comfortable, and we don't want to subject our listeners to our faces. But for this one, I wish you and they could have seen Eric's face this whole time because it was a child on Christmas morning. This this was something he's been talking about forever. And and, and I'm 42. Yeah, I mean I it's pathetic. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> but DJ, I mean, I look. You played there for four years. You left your heart on the court. You gave us everything you could have given us. You dealt with more crap than anyone should ever have to deal with. And you came out of it with a big smile ear to ear on your face. And you're still a Hoosier. And we cannot wait to get you back in Assembly Hall for a game so we can give you the ovation that you deserve so we can all say thank you. Thank you, man. As soon as, uh, as, soon as I retire, I always tell my wife we're going uh, to go tailgate for some football games. Yes. And we're going to go see, see some basketball games. So I'll definitely... 
I'll definitely be back in the, in the near future. And unlike when you were there, the football team might win a game now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we never, ever went to the games. I mean, we used to do what we had to do. Like, if we had recruits and stuff, we'll go right over to the field across the street. So yeah. <laughs> we never went to the games. <laughs> and then get the hell out of there. I get it. Right. All right, DJ, will you be good? I hope you and your family are well. Get through this COVID crisis uh, healthy and happy and be safe. And we'll follow you in Turkey or wherever you play next. And we can't wait to get you back in Bloomington. All right, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. Who's your hysterics? Oh, man. I, I, it's funny you brought that up. I, I feel, my face is like hurting because I have been smiling for like an hour and a half. No, it was just I was across from a delighted man for for extended period of time. That was Because you get jacked about all these guys. There's not one person coming in here where you're disinterested, but it was a different level for you. It was cool to see. I, I loved him. And, and look, I'm right in saying that that era of Indiana, you weren't like crazy about right like not like focused like you are right now i've never been this focused <laughs> okay fair enough you know because i've always watched all the games right but you know rarely of course before the the internet or you introduced me to peaks that's that's about as far as it went you know i, I watched uh, one of the early live streams when the students were rioting as coach knight was fired right. but no it, it was it was something where thanks to you and this podcast and pigs i'm so much deeper yeah we're deep yeah we're way we're in deep. there we're, we're neck deep um but can't you just feel his energy like it's infectious immediately the laugh like he had this smile his face is big he's got a big face and when he would smile it just lights up the room well you asked me before we got on the phone with him you know what do you think he'll be like and i just thought about the enthusiasm he plays with and just like this big gregarious sort of smile that I was like, I, 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 I'd said I'm not really sure, but then as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh yeah, this is what I guess I was expecting and, and wanted, and what, what a good time. And it's, it's so interesting to see all the different personalities in a conversation like this and how they compare to how they are on the court, and he's just the dude you know you would, you would really want to be friends with. Yeah. I mean, I know. What do you mean? You, we're, we're friends with him. What do you mean be friends right, with him? Right, right. We are best friends with him. Right. Well, I'll, I'll, be, the, I'll be the third man. I don't, I don't want to get in the middle of you two. If all you went through in your college career was three coaches, that would be difficult. Mm -hmm. If all you went through in your career was one debilitating injury that knocked you out for a season, that would be stressful and difficult to deal with. He went through two debilitating injuries one injury and surgery and cancer scare that we didn't even know about when it was happening because they kept it under wraps. And three coaches, sanctions over your head, a coach changing the system. Surrounded by narcotics. Surrounded by guys who liked the booger sugar. <laughs> <laughs> so... You just add all those things up, and he came out of it as Big Ten Player of the Year. It's unreal. Th that takes a special character. It takes a special um, man to and get through it. it. And he didn't stop there. 
Oh, Detroit drafted you. Go to Seattle. We'll meet you in Oklahoma City. Oh, wait, something came back. We got to operate on your jaw again. Sorry, your thumb got broke. I'm sorry. At that point, I'd be like, I'm out. I'm sitting on my couch. What can I do with the least right. amount of effort as possible? Because no matter how hard I try, the universe hates me. I'm out. Nope. I'm going to play in the NBA seven years, and then I'm going to go overseas and play well into my 30s. And it's just like that's that's an unbelievable level of of conviction and determination that you got to imagine you know he's got his aunt and uncle on one side yeah. his grandparents on the other and his parents there at home with him what a rock solid foundation to have taken him through a tumultuous journey to say the least by the way i texted mike roberts saying when when we were talking about mike during the uh dj conversation and this is what mike roberts says dj is my guy I tried to take him under my wing. He is absolutely great. I'm so happy he's still playing. Um, how good does it make you feel as an Indiana fan when you hear about a guy from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, who's a top 15 pick, or top 15 recruit, who could go anywhere he wanted, and he said, but then I visited Indiana and it was over. I knew where I was going to go. How good does that make you feel about him and Indiana and what it can be? Well, and it... It's a little bit of objectivity of somebody who didn't grow up in it. Yes. Like, yes, we're all delusional. Of course we are. But I think for we're not. We're not. It's the best place in the world, factually. But to have somebody who who had his pick in the litter, and gets that same feeling, and and then you know when Slick Leonard says you went to IU, that makes you special. And it's because that place is special. And we go there and we drink the water or the natural light for four or five years. And, and it becomes an unbreakable bond. And very early in that conversation, because you, you wonder when DJ had the, all the, the controversy surrounding the program and even within the program, uh, internal conflicts, and then he's off into the world and you don't really see nor hide nor hair of him because he's playing professional basketball. You wonder, does he still have that attachment that we do? And early on, I forget what he was referring to, but he was like, we, I heard him say the, the, we, and I'm like, yep. Once a Hoosier, always a Hoosier. Yeah. It would be so easy for him to be like, screw that. That was the hardest four years of my life, but no, he loves it. He connected and, and it's, it's people like DJ who decide to go to Indiana and represent it like he did that make it special. You know, I mean, it's, it's, and we have been fortunate to talk to so many of them, but he falls in that line of just gregarious, big personalities. He said he's a reserved guy off the court, but man, that, that smile, his energy, you can just feel it. You want to be around it. And, and we're just blessed to have people like that who played for Indiana. And he's one of a handful of guys. There's not that many that from the time Coach Knight was let go till today that have kept the flame burning, that that you've been able to point to or, or, or just in, in, in dark periods, why, why am I watching this game? Why do I still love this program more than what I'm seeing out on the court? Well, maybe the results aren't there or the championships aren't there, but it always seems like, you know, there, there's been at least a DJ or, or somebody along those lines that, that keeps you coming back and keeping the dream alive. And, you know, I think what we're, we're seeing now is a, a team of obviously very different personalities and playing styles, but 
good, solid, determined people like that that just kept fighting for the name on the front of the jersey at a time, you know, especially his senior year, there wasn't a lot of guys there. He even said that they were there to play for Coach Sampson and whatever other extracurricular activities they were involved with. He kept the dream alive. And as a result, we're all still here. And we're, we're ready. We're ready for the return to glory. But to know all these years in between glory, we, we, we stayed with it because there were DJs. I, I was thinking, as you said that, who, since Coach Knight left, would you say had a, who's got a better career than DJ White? It's been 20 years. I mean, because when you talk about four years, even though it wasn't four full years... You think about guys who even had like three really good years. Vic, but he 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 didn't but do Vic's what he freshman year was nothing really. Right. I mean, he didn't really impact winning his freshman year. Right. His sophomore year he impacted, but he wasn't a star. DJ was a star from day one. DJ yeah. was Big Ten Freshman of the Year. How he, many players? I didn't look this up. I wonder. Maybe how many, Yogi. Maybe Yogi. I was going to say Yogi, but even. Yeah. Yogi wasn't the star of the freshman year. But DJ, he started. He played. He, he, no, big contributor. But I'm yeah. saying DJ was a star from the moment he got there. Right. How many players at Indiana have won Big Ten Freshman of the Year and Big Ten Player of the Year? That's a great trivia question. I could look it up. And I can guess if if there's... And when was that award introduced? Oh, yeah. That's because because as you, you run down the accolades at the beginning, that is not one we've mentioned many times. And I wonder if part of that is because... It's in a later award, um, and obviously freshmen weren't allowed to play. For You know what was interesting about Slick Leonard we didn't circle back to? Was he said the very year after Slick came in, when freshmen weren't allowed to play, they were allowed to play. Yes, because I, I looked back and saw that there were some older guys who did play all four years. Yeah, did because the, the Van Arsdales, did they play as freshmen? I don't no, think they did. They didn't. So it must have just been in the late 50s, freshmen started being able to play again. Like, did Walt Bellamy play as freshman right. year? Right. I don't know. I think he did. I don't know, though. Hold on. You're going to have to cut out some of this stuff. Sure. But I want to get, I want to get this up. Let's see if there's anybody else I could guess. Because I could see Calvert had a great freshman year. So uh, if I had to guess one person, because you're, you're talking about ever. So I would say Calbert scored 17 as a freshman. That certainly could have got him that award. Yeah? Yeah, hold on. I'm almost there. And who Good else? luck editing. Alan Henderson, maybe, as a guy who could have done it on both ends. I don't think he won. Did he win Big Ten Player of the Year? I, I'm not sure. But but he was good enough both as a freshman and as a senior to do that. That's true. Almost there. You would think there's an easier way for me to get there, but there isn't for now. Mostly because I'm an idiot, probably. Well, and I suppose part of the reason it doesn't happen a little bit more often is, you know, in the new era, probably, which lines up more likely with Big Ten Freshman of the Year. If you're Big Ten Freshman of the Year, you're probably not going to be around very much longer. Okay. Dean Garrett won Big Ten Freshman of the Year. He did not win. And he wasn't a freshman. They gave him right. a newcomer. But he didn't win Big Ten Player of the Year. Jay Edwards won Big Ten Freshman of the Year. He may just remember Jay. 
Eric Anderson won Big Ten Freshman of the Year. He never won Big Ten Player. Damon Bailey won Freshman of the Year. He didn't win Big Ten Player of the Year. Guyton won Freshman of the Year. Did he? He might have. He could have. We might have to just get rid of this whole goddamn section. <laughs> I don't have big... It has Big Ten Freshman of the Year, but not Big Ten Player of the Year. All in there. Oh, here we go. Okay. So, DJ White, Freshman of the Year. AJ Guyton, Freshman of the Year, Player of the Year. Great. Uh, Our guy. Now, Calvert. Calvert did not win Freshman of the Year. That's it. That's a pretty short list. That's it. Two players. And oh, two. Jared Jeffries. Oh, he won Big Ten Player of the Year as a He's sophomore. Sophomore. Wow. So Guyton, Jeffries, DJ White. That's where the list ends. That is a short list. And we mentioned it about DJ and at the time about AJ. These guys are so underappreciated totally. by the Indiana fan base. And a lot of that is well, what was going on with the program. It was the end of Knight's era. It was getting more and more controversial. DJ was at the eye of a shitstorm for four years. And unfortunately, careers that otherwise would have been talked about every time you go to Nick's English Hut and, and you're conversing about the IU greats, I think they get lost a little bit with the, the program's downturns. I totally agree. I mean, I think DJ and AJ are probably one and two, however you want to cut it, of most underappreciated Hoosier careers. Both four-year guys, you know. I mean, just amazing careers. And what DJ did and what he fought through, it, it's just remarkable. I love him. I'm so glad we got to talk to him. Special thank you to Lance Stemmler. Lance Stemmler is the reason why we were able to make this happen and uh, really I, appreciate him. It's so cool to hear also, again, DJ talking about Earl Calloway and Lance Stemmler were both in his wedding. I love it. And that they fought. Yes. <laughs> they fought about who who was responsible. Well, really, the villain is, 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 uh, is Howland, that son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Well, listen, another incredible walk down memory lane of Indiana University basketball. Uh, wish nothing but the best for DJ White. We will be back at you next week with another one. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I, but, but the, the sometimes why. <laughs> <laughs> Halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.